So episode number what? Is it 132 or 131? 135. 135. I am behind. We forgot about four whole episodes. One four five. We got the one we and only. We gotta get a CIA guy. Fifteen-year <laughs> former CIA. Uh, Mike Baker here with us. Mike, how you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. Thanks very much. Yeah, we yeah. We, we did a Zoom interview during COVID, but we yeah, never done a face to face. It's great I to know. have you here. No, and thank you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I got word you were here early five o'clock, looking uh, working on the wire. So I don't know what you were working <laughs> on, but uh, you know, we're optimistic. Yeah, we're, we it was not easy it. getting into your lair here. By the way, <laughs> this is actually a bank vault. Full it is a bank yeah. vault. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's fully a bank vault, yeah. and we are hoping to. Get some legit information out of you with all the mess that's going on in the world. We locked that door. We're not letting you no, out yeah, until you this tell is... us exactly what's going on. Uh, like, well, we're here for a long time then. That's <laughs> our version of level one so nuclear let me, security. Let, let me ask you this, though. Let me ask you this, though. Like, yeah. you know, today I'm driving. I'm like, okay. We've had a lot of former CIA guys on. We had, you mm. know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Jack Barsky on uh, a few days ago. What was it a couple well, weeks ago? Jack Barsky, KGB. We've had. Matt Zeller. Matt Zeller. We've had a, a lot of different people on. McKinley. We've had a few people on, yep. right? Mm -hmm. And I sit down, I'm thinking, I'm like, what is the policy on what you can share as a former CIA? Because, you know, yeah. the movie Argo. You know the movie yeah, Argo? Sure, yeah, and yeah. Say, and yeah. Affleck. Oh, yeah. we can't you release these stories for 30 years. And this whole thing, they used the movie from Canada to go in and take these people on. What, what a great thing that they did. Mm. What can't, like, are there stuff that you really you know, that you went through that you can't ever talk about. Is that the code? Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, look, you sign secrecy agreements, and those secrecy agreements don't expire, you know, even if you retire or, or leave. I didn't retire. I wasn't old enough, but I'd been there for going on two decades. And, and uh, when it came time to leave, as an example, um, and I, I, I left for fairly pedestrian reasons. I was raising a daughter, um, so I was I was a single dad and, and needed to be home because, as it turns out, that's... That's one of those things that makes you a good parent if you're home <laughs> with your young children. So, so I thought I got to do something to stay home. So I talked to my folks in the operations directorate, and they couldn't have been better to me. I said, "Well, look, I'm going to leave. I guess I'm, you know, going to try to start a business." And a, they questioned that in, in terms of whether I had any skills that would transfer to business. And um, but they said, okay, fine, you know, you, let's make it so that you can leave and at least say where you were, meaning at the, the agency, the outfit. And that was a really, that was a really generous thing for them to do. But the agreement is that I have a responsibility that I don't talk about sources and methods. I don't get into specifics, but it allowed me to come out and at least not say that I was an import export guy, you know, for the past going on 20 years. And, and that helped then build a business as it, as it turns out. And, um, it, particularly where I am, I'm in the global intelligence and security industry, right? So there was a direct relationship to it. If I had come out and said, well, I was, uh, in business or I was, uh, in, in government somehow, it, it wouldn't have had much impact. So the agency was very good to me in that regard. And therefore I'm, very tight on what you can and can't say. Yeah. Makes sense. Now, is is it is it a uh, uh, is it a competitive uh, thing between FBI and CIA or no? Like, is it like we're better than you? We're better, or is it more like we work together? Is <laughs> like firefighters versus cops when you play the baseball yeah, game. No, game. it's not even competitive because we're so much better. Oh uh, no, no, no! Oh, there you <laughs> go. That's, that's bullshit. I'm not, no, I, I, I'm not going to say that. Look, I know a lot of guys uh, even with you the bureau, did. and I, I, I think very highly of them. They're, they're, they are great. But there was, um, particularly pre 9 11, there was a there was tension between the Bureau and the agency. And the, the Bureau started putting their people out in the field um, overseas 
to take on counterterrorism uh, activity. And that's always been sort of the purview of, of my outfit. And so that created some tension and, and just some confusion. It's, you know, what are you guys doing out here? What's, what's your objective and why are you here and taking up our space? And, and so that created some, um, some liaison problems in terms of sharing of intelligence. And, you know, so you'd, you'd go in as an example. If you were operating somewhere and you were engaged in a counterterrorist operation and the Bureau uh, came in, and they were doing some, you know, activity and element. You always had this feeling like we weren't really being completely square with each other. So we weren't really sharing, uh, you know, completely. Got it. And and that, why though? Yeah. Is, is it like who solves the mystery and who solves? <laughs> is that kind of what it is? Yeah, you know, it's it was kind of you know you're pissing on my turf, right? And so how about you not? And it's territorial. Yeah, it's it's competitive. competitive. Is that yeah, what it, is? it was. But now yeah. it's. I will say this much: it is it is immensely improved. Um, the the liaison between the organizations is is so much better now than it was again 15 10 years ago even collaborative relationship yes, working it's, together it's much mm -hmm. better because you know in part 911 forced that i mean it, you know you suddenly yeah. realized look we there were there were gaps there that did you know we 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 probably could have avoided if we but it's a human endeavor right it's always going to there's always going to be an element of risk you're never going to minimize it down to zero Qu question for you so yeah. you know uh, the the we had Oliver Stone on uh, last week and uh, uh, so I went on a binge watching of all these JFK assassination documentaries. <laughs> and I've, I've already interviewed way too many people on that topic, but yeah. just something I'm curious about how JFK wanted to get rid of the CIA. I'm sure you've read mm. the story somewhere. Which one of these organizations can America do without? So I'll give you the list and you okay. tell me. So, and I hope you're not going to be politically correct. Just yeah. to give a safe answer. Oh. You got CIA, you got <sighs> FBI, you got PD, you got DEA, you got the IRS, you got all... Which one of these guys can we go without, and it would probably make America a better place? Can we put Congress on the list? Yeah, can we, I was going to say, can we yeah. put? Uh, yeah, can we put? And our you, didn't, you didn't pull a there. Rick Perry and forget yeah. the, the names that you were going to ask. <laughs> Oops! Ah, <laughs> uh, we got to get rid of these three agencies. Uh, I can only name two. Yeah. Though I apologize. Yeah, yeah the Department of uh, what? Um, Education. Yeah, oh, yeah you know what? what? With the ones that you mentioned, the you know the CIA, the the Bureau, um, DEA. Um, I, you know, I would I would argue you can't get rid of any of those, right? There's a there's a real reason why those exist. Now, you know, at times the bureaucracies get too big. They, you know, it, it, yeah, fine, but um, you know, it's like when people say we got to get rid of you know customs and, and you know border patrol uh, or ICE. Get rid of these. It's a simplistic way of you know of looking at it. And when it comes from a politician, it's they're just blowing smoke up people's ass to to you know score a point, mm -hmm. you know, right? because it, it's popular to say it. So. Um, IRS, yeah, you know, do we need it uh, to, to enhance the size of the IRS? I don't think so. Are, are taxes a good thing in a, if they're used properly? Sure, yeah. So, I, you know, I'm probably not the best person to talk about this, mm -hmm. but definitely don't get rid of the CIA, right? <laughs> it, is a, it is a fucked up world out there, and you need, uh, I'll say apolitical, you need an apolitical intelligence yeah. service right is the cia apolitical these days yeah i mean i would again it's it's you know it 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 gets uh, it it's had a it had a beating uh about the same time that the bureau was taking a beating you know and um but my experience that's all i can talk to i was in the operations side of things and um you know i'd spent my whole time overseas so i never saw it as a political organization right we i never had political conversations with any of the guys that I was working with, right? We'd sit in a safe house for three weeks waiting for something to pop. 
we didn't sit there talking politics. It just wasn't, it wasn't something you did. And when I'd come back and walk the corridors in, in the main building, yeah, there, were, there weren't political discussions. So you never had that feeling mm. that, it, that that's how that built. And you don't want that. I've seen countries where there's a change in government and they just they sh- shit can everybody, bring in an entire new intel service that's politically you know, bound to whatever administrations come in. That is a disaster that you definitely don't want. Tom, what do you think? What do you think out of those, uh, you know, he even put ice in there. So let's throw ice in there as well. Which one of those do you think we can go without? Well, I've always thought, and I still think, that Department of Homeland Security is there at, you know, airports and the border. And most most air travel is like cross state lines. So why wouldn't Homeland Security be part of FBI? FBI covers across state lines. You know, law enforcement conflict in this nation has been sort of a staple, mm-hmm. right? Where the local police are working on a case. Whoops, it's a lot of money across state lines, FBI, excuse me, step back, that's ours, mm-hmm. right? So this conflicts have happened. I've always thought that the Border Patrol and Homeland Security are redundant. Since Homeland Security was created after 9-11, I said, well, what does the Border Patrol do? And if it's, if it's borders and intrastate things, why wouldn't the FBI have that? And why did we create the, this, these notions? So that's my thinking. I think there's redundancy in some of it, mm-hmm. but I agree that the FBI is an entity and the CIA an entity and the NSA is an entity. I would never screw with either one of those three. Okay, how about ATF? I mean, alcohol, yeah. tobacco, I was just going to ask that question. Well, in Texas, I'm a big fan of all of them. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I wasn't in, sure what the question was. But, <laughs> well, in, yeah. in Texas, it's alcohol, a Alcohol, I like alcohol. I like right. tobacco. I like fire. <laughs> <laughs> What's the question? Hell. Hang on. In Texas, ATF is a convenience store, not a federal bureau. <laughs> That's is. a good point. Well, Pat, you just you, the interview you did, the debates, the yeah. great debates, you you debated whether we need a war on drugs or whether we've won the war on drugs. Do you have a strong opinion or do, of who won that argument or what were your thoughts on uh, yeah, ATF? I mean, but ATF is a $1.4 billion budget, 5,082 employees, including 2,653 special agents, 760 industry operation investigators. Okay, what are we doing? Alcohol, tobacco, firearms, like what do, what do we, so for me, you know, anytime like in, in the world of business, when you go at the end of the year, you look at your expenses and budget, what do you look at? You look at it and you say, uh, why are we spending money for this? What are we doing with this? So rather yep. than constantly adding, I think we're not spending mm-hmm. enough time thinking about what we can take right. away and give that responsibility to one of these other departments that can probably do the job. We, we don't need to have another right. constantly come up with a different department. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm on that page. Yeah. I agree yeah. 100% with what yeah. you just said. But that's not the nature of government. The nature of government is not, you know, as, a, as, a, as an animal, is not to shrink itself. Um, and uh, so once, once budgets get set, um, you know, trying to – it's like every, every year uh, in the agency – Towards the end of the calendar year, you'd get this this uh, note, or somebody would say something from senior management about like, "What do you guys need? Right? What do you need? Do you need more gear? Do you need more? You know?" And because we got to spend the money, yeah, money's in the budget. If we don't spend it now, then w- our next budget might be smaller because yeah. they're going to look and go, "Well, you guys didn't need that, so we'll reallocate those resources." But I do agree, you know, the the after nine eleven when they created. Uh, Homeland Security, but more importantly, when they created DNI, um, that was something probably could be looked at, right, to, to, to shrink that, because I think they did put a lot of redundancy in there. It was just layers of bureaucracy to combine all the various members of the intel community and, and law enforcement, and I think that's never really functioned the way that it should. Plus, also, I'm, I'm not a big fan of having a DNI instead of having the CIA director with a seat at the table. 
And that's what kind of what they did. They pushed the CIA director out and said, oh, the DNI is going to be the guy. And that's a little too political for me. How could, and by the way, uh, Tyler, go ahead. ask you a great question, well, Tyler. I, I was just going to say, you're talking about the, the budget's always growing. That's not how bureaucracy works. The government is the single largest employer in the country. How many I, – like I love the libertarian perspective of the small government. So how many of these organizations can we privatize? Can we privatize the FBI? Can we privatize the CIA? Can we privatize the what, – what have you? Like yeah. does it have to be a government organization? Because – you can make the claim that uh, if you privatize one of these organizations, it will become biased or what have you. But you're seeing the same thing now with all the government what organizations. What would be the benefit to privatize? I'm asking as a capitalist, but I'm asking you, what's the benefit if we privatize? Well, it seems to me that the private sector can run infinitely better I- anything. Operation-wise. You're, just Operation think, you're saying they're going to be more efficient because you've got money, be profit, efficient. loss. Correct. I think, I think it could be better to the taxpayer. I Let think me ask it, you, how do you think, operate better. how do you think media sells prints? It's Eric Prince, is that uh, he, he, uh, Blackwater. from uh, Blackwater. Blackwater? How do you think he's uh, portrayed as? I think a lot of people despise him. I mean, we we have him coming on the podcast. I think in two weeks or three right. weeks, right? Yeah. How is he? He's he's sold as a what? He's, he's not a warmonger. Yeah. So so you know that's the part as well. And then say the wrong guy, and it, you know I don't know. I don't know. It's, so who's this guy? This a Biden likely to nominate the new ATF head of uh, after first one was pulled. Aides say the president is committed to filing the post and is vacant for David Chipman's nomination, failed to get needed support in the Senate. Do you know when ATF got started? Do you know when ATF got started? 1961. So in 1961, ATF, so when 1961 ATF got started, was alcohol legal? Yes. Okay. Was uh, tobacco legal? Of course. Okay. Was uh, 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 firearms. firearms legal? Yes. So what? What like? What is your job? Your who, job is who was the president? That was that JFK at that point. Sixty one. Sixty one. I would say yeah. I think yeah. It's JFK. Yeah. I, I'm foggy on this, but remember one of the areas of nonviolent uh, crime by organized crime was the old pink tax sticker that used to be on top of all the liquor bottles, and they would print all these things in the Bahamas or in the Caribbean, and these tax stickers were then put on. On this, and as I recall, it was Treasury Department before ATF that actually presided over that. With even Hoover saying, "Wait a minute, if this is organized crime, what are you guys doing here?" Oh, do you, because do you, it's do you think it's do you think it's, it's weird a, you got that information in your head? Do you think that's that's an interesting? I'm, no, I'm fascinated. Welcome to the I'm world of the BizDoc, yeah. Mike Baker. I'm fascinated. It's a lot of I'm information because that's on a there. lot of information in your head, and I'm very impressed. My head is <laughs> my brain is like New York City. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. By the way, he just figured you out in ten minutes. Yeah. We call him the walking Wikipedia. This oh, okay. guy is always <laughs> okay. reading, getting no, information. But, but I thought that was a very real thing. It's like where the FBI was out there. Hey, we're trying to bus bootleggers over here. What are you doing here? Well, these are tax stickers, and this belongs to the American people, this little pink thing. And there were actually nonviolent criminals that were out there printing on the tax side, but that weren't whacking each other like they were doing prohibition. And all of a sudden, we now have a... Guess what? ATF. We'll make a new division. Yeah. We'll make a new department. <laughs> but to, I, if I could jump over to that question about privatizing certain things. Uh, look, we went in uh, during the first, what do we call it, incursion in, into Iraq. Um, I had uh, I was I was out at that point, but we put a bunch of guys we put a bunch of guys into uh, into Iraq uh, at the behest of some uh, clients that we had that were going to be doing infrastructure work out there in Iraq. You know they already knew it. You know and and so so we had been doing some things for them elsewhere, and they said, look, from a security perspective, you know, can you help us out? And so. We started putting people in there um, really at the same time or just slightly ahead of when the troops went into Iraq. And 
we're a private business, right? So we started building up an operation out there. And this is early days. This is before Blackwater became a household name. And, and, and um, so we watched that sort of that private contract or private security industry build in Iraq over a few years. And um, it, was, it was a bit of a shit show because it's a private business. And so we saw people looking and going, I can make money doing that. So you had... You know, a, a, a large number of MOOCs with no experience thinking, I'm going to start a security company. Yeah. And they were banging around Washington, D.C., where we had an office. And we'd come back. I'd come back and they'd say, oh, could you meet with these guys? They want to, you know, talk to you about, you know. Lobbyists? Lobby. Is that what this was? Well, these, these were guys that were pseudo lobbyists or they were just they were just guys hanging around Washington and thinking, I'll bet I could get a contract somewhere. And this is a good business. Yeah. So you started getting all these companies yeah. showing up. And I remember talking to, to some of these companies, and you know, whether they were British or American or whatever, and, and look, you don't have an endless supply of trained people with sufficient experience to operate in a hostile environment like that, um, whether it's providing security or gathering intelligence or whatever. So that bar kept lowering. And I'd, you know, I'd talk to somebody, and they'd say, yeah, I was um, SBS, you know, out of the British you know, teams. And you think... No, you're not, you know, because we've got the former commander, you know, working with us and he's never heard of you. And you, you, this would happen time and time again. So eventually people were hiring just, you know, people with no experience, no business being out there. And that's when shit started to happen. And so then what happened when that you know, kerfuffle started was that the government got involved and said, look, we've got to, you know, we've got to regulate this. We've got to come up. And so. There was this effort with the private businesses now starting to see, wait a minute, we're, we're, our business is being threatened because now the government's looking at it. You know, maybe the government's going to step in and start, you know, regulating this. So we started meeting as private contracting companies saying we've got to form an association here, set some standards. Right. And, and then, well, the, you're doing that because you're trying to protect your business. You're not necessarily doing it because, you know, none of these guys really cared about that, but they were doing it so they wouldn't lose their contracts. Mm -hmm. So so some of the government, I guess my point being, government involvement in there was actually an important part of it, right? Because it helped. The, the regulation. The regulation, um, the, you know, setting some standards, getting some of the idiots out of it. Uh, so, I, you know, again, I, I'm conflicted because I can see both sides. Right. So after, but, after they came in and, and you guys set the standards, how did it work out in comparison? Um, you know what? It, it, it worked out. Better because there was more policing of <laughs> of uh, protocols of hiring of requirements. There was more, you know. It, so I, I don't know. It's it's uh, it was one of those things. I just wanted to raise the point. I'm you know I don't want to disappear down mm -hmm. that rabbit but hole. The companies but, like that. Like if I'm Halliburton and I find out that my security team was maybe substandard mm -hmm. or not as good as they pitched me in the PowerPoint deck, right. and I'm hiring them to protect basically U.S. civilians who have agreed to go into a hostile theater and work on a, a, an electric power grid project, right? Right, right? So now I'm a little bit concerned by that. And this kind of, didn't that help the companies? Weren't they appreciative that now they have some sort of reliance and standards right. that my civilians that are over there are working on a dam, working on, it was a lot of infrastructure. Yeah, that was, no, and that's, and that's a good point. And they did appreciate it, and it was, it was beneficial to them. Um, you would like to have thought that they would have been, you know, look, we the companies we worked with, they were very clear about we expect, you know, the following uh, in terms of standards and, and you know, it, but I guess, you know, my point being is that <laughs> if you leave it up to private business, it may not. I, there's always that statement. Oh, private business was how to run things, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to be more efficient than government. 
Yeah, you know, but you, there is a place for government at times. So. Or it goes the other way, right? Because Wackenhut has actually hired, remember Wackenhut hired to do the private prisons in the U.S.? Mm. And they've actually hired their own lobbyists because they like tougher criminal laws because it makes an influx of prisoners that need <laughs> a place clients. to sleep, right. which means you build another prison. Yeah, so, so, yeah. so for private business to... Uh, and to benefit from wars, that concerns me because you're, you know, exactly. you know what I'm saying? That concerns me. Part of me is well, kind of like. Well, it's the military industrial complex. Totally, exactly. I was going to go there. That, but, but, you know, now somebody, but can you increase Tyler's audio as well, like 10%? Uh, you know, but, but for me, so then the other side of it, if I'm being a devil's advocate to myself is, it's going to happen anyways because a guy on the inside that's on the government, hey, you, you do this, I'm going to give you this. Hey, lobbyists coming in. I think the problem here uh, for that to work out is if you eliminated lobbyists, a lot of things would be more honest and transparent because these guys that are making 10, 20 million a year, a, a lobbyist is making, it's one of the highest paying jobs in America, by the way, mm, yeah. being a lobbyist, pays very well. By the way, just, just out of curiosity, mm. <clears throat> you know these uh, 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 conspiracies you read about, okay? And you know, I don't know if you're into conspiracies or not. Uh, a lot of people are as a CIA agent, I'm sure you're not. Yeah. But uh, you know, some of these conspiracies, like who, who are some of the names that are dropped that world leaders that were, you know, working for the CIA? Because, you know, in the mob, you, you'll read this boss was working closely with the FBI and nobody knew about it for 15 years. Mm -hmm. He was this and he was dropping all the information. And I'm not even talking about like a Joe Pistone, mm -hmm. you know, who was actually working for the FBI that went in for five years and 10 months. I'm talking about like actual world, world leaders. That was Donnie Brasco. Was yeah, I'm not talking okay. Donnie Brasco. Yeah. I'm talking about guys that were world leaders who some say the CIA had them in their pockets and they were giving them information. Who, who are some of the names? Uh, you know what? Um, <laughs> well, Vladimir Putin. Um, He'd be one of them. No, I'm kidding. I'm, oh, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Mouth, Everybody's yeah. wide yeah. open at like the table. <laughs> yeah, he's... No. He's secretly yeah. going to destroy the Mike, Soviet That was Union. good. Yeah. I've got to give it to you. That was yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Mike... Mike's got a little bit of acting, you know, uh, and comedy. Uh, yeah, um, you know, it's it's it, there's been. I, that's a really good question because in, ter in terms of world leaders, normally the question is like, you know, were there celebrities? Were there, you know, people that that had worked because they were in the public eye, but they could travel everywhere and had access? You know, from a world leader perspective, that's not really. That's not a, a target. When you're talking about a collection target, if you're looking to recruit uh, access to a country, your your first landing spot is not the the leader, right? I mean, maybe there's relationships that exist um, as that person was coming up through the ranks or whatever, and eventually became a leader. And so you're gonna you're gonna want to know what that's all about. You want to know whether you've got anybody who went to school with them or did whatever, and that's that could provide you with some insight. But really, you're looking for people who have actionable intelligence uh, at, at sort of a granular level. So I, you know, I would rather have, rather than the world leader, sure, it'd be nice to have them in their pocket, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, you want the, the guy who's running a desk, you know, for a, a priority target in some other intel service overseas, right? I mean, you're looking, that's what, that's what you're looking to do. Or you're looking for the, the deputy assistant uh, foreign minister, right, who's got terrific access, but is, is right there in decision-making, you know, points. That's the sort of thing. Or, you know what? You want the, uh, the housekeeper, you know, for the, uh, for the world leader. Um, <laughs> you want proximity, yeah. but you, you don't want, want the yeah. number one is what you're saying. Yeah. How, do you, how, yeah. do, how do you recruit? How, what's the method of recruiting folks like that? 
Uh, you know, it's it's usually not ideology, right? Um, it's usually a little bit more base than that. Um, so you're talking, you know, possibly money. Maybe you're talking about, you know, you you bump across some guy that's it's working, and your indications are maybe they're GRU, for instance, or they're you know they're FSB or whatever. And you think uh, that'd be a good target, and so you know maybe you find out they got a couple of young kids, um, and that's their I don't want to say their weak link, but that's really what drives them, you know, and that and a lot of times that's what it is. Maybe their kid's sick. Maybe they need some medical attention, right, or some assistance. And that's simple. Yeah, it's it, that it can simple. Be, it can be that simple. Um, it, it could be that oftentimes, it, not often, but another scenario is that they're just not getting enough hugs from their home service, right, or mm. from wherever they're They're not working. feeling the love. They're, they're not they're... feeling the love. They feel like they're disrespected. Nobody's listening to me. I'm too smart for this place. Mm. And so now suddenly you're providing an outlet for them. And now they feel important because now they're getting that information to somebody, right? And, and it sounds odd, right? It sounds like who's gonna, who the fuck's going to betray their country and their family and their government? And their, their, you know. But, you know, that sometimes can be a very powerful thing, right? And that's unfortunately in the counterintelligence world when we talk about people like Hanson, right, or Jim Nicholson or, or some of these guys, Ed Lee Howard – that's pretty much what it was. They just didn't feel like they were respected. They were too smart you know, for their well, own when, place. When the CIA yeah. sets their sights on somebody and says, we want to get this target, I assume that's how it works. Like, this is the person we want. It's driven by, it's driven by tasking. So it's driven okay. by, like, okay, we, we need to know exactly to the degree we can what the you know, Chinese military is spending their money on you know, in the next you know, two years or three years. Are they dumping all their money into mm -hmm. hypersonics or whatever? So, yeah, you know, it would be nice to get somebody in the PLA or whatever. And so... It's driven by the tasking, gotcha. and then you start looking at who's got that, who's got access to that information, and who may be minded to talk to you. Who could you actually access? Who could you get to? Um, so there's a process that you go through, and and to be fair, most intel services go through the same process because it's a human thing. And when they get uh, this target or this mission, how hard is it for that person to say no? Meaning, how much do you squeeze this person to say? I'm not saying you, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got to imagine if you set your sights on somebody and that's your target, you're not going to take no for an answer. No, no, it, 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 it's, I see what you're saying, but it doesn't work that way because you, you never want to coerce somebody into this, right? You, uh -huh. you don't want to, because that's a, that's a, a bad route. It's, just, it's like with blackmail. People always think, ah, oh, you're going to, you know, you're going to, you know, hook them because they, they've compromised themselves. Well, Maybe, but and this is somewhat nuanced. If someone compromises themselves, they do go out there and they do something that they, as as if say they're an intel, uh, you know, officer for some foreign country that's a target for us. Uh, if they compromise themselves, they do something they shouldn't have done. You're not necessarily using that right as as the hook. What you're doing is you're saying, okay, there's a weakness there, right? There's a they they that's a, that's the weakness. Now we're going to build around that, hmm. right? Because. You know, hooking somebody up by blackmail or or, or strong arming them, strong -arming you saying it doesn't work? Then it just uh, it just doesn't work. Their um, heart needs to be in it, essentially. Well, they need to feel that they're they're doing the right thing, right? And they're doing it for the right reason, even if they're complete, you know, assholes. And you know, and you know, it's just. Why'd you look at Tom when you said that? <laughs> he doesn't appreciate that. Yeah. Here we go. Even if they're complete assholes, yeah. Tom. I mean, so, uh, yeah. I mean, there you go. See, there's a reason we're opposite ends yeah, in this yeah. case. By the, by the way, so a yeah. uh, uh, question about, you know, the most shocking declassified secrets in U.S. history, right? You got, mm. you got this uh, 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 where, you know, going into files and pulling out the top juiciest, most interesting government secrets. All of them have been oh. this, this, uh, declassified, meaning governments in question have... Uh, release documents confirming the truth. FYI, folks, season two of Black Files Declassified 
airing, is it Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern yep. Standard Time on Science Channel and Discovery Plus with Mike Baker. You can find season one of Black Files Declassified is available on Amazon Prime, I believe. A link is in the description of the podcast. We'll put it below mm-hmm. uh, for some of you guys. And then maybe at the end we'll show preview uh, of that so you'll Thank be you. one of the first yeah. to see it. Yeah, so here's here's 10 of them we have, okay? The U.S. relationship with Khomeini, okay? Declassified records have revealed that Ayatollah Ruolo Khomeini, a cleric who would later emerge as the driving force in Islamic fundamentalism, was much closer to the American government than previously thought. Khomeini has sought to negotiate with the Kennedy and Carter administration in order to ease his takeover of Iran, despite his public anti-American rhetoric going as far as calling America the great Satan. I was there for 10 years when he was ruling six weeks after he died. We left Iran and we went to Germany at a refugee camp. So I've, I've watched everything that they were talking about on TV. I was old enough to remember some of this stuff. And the great Satan, I mean, forget about that. They used to say death upon America. I'd look outside the window and I'd see 10,000 man march flagellating their backs. This is not just like yeah. in movies. This is stuff that you actually saw as a kid. So how much credibility is there? If Khomeini was with the CIA, I mean, he's... What do you know about this yeah, story? Yeah, he wasn't with the CIA, but there was, you know, there were efforts to try to, because part, part of what they were doing is trying to assess who, who the hell he is and, you know, what his chances are of, of taking over, what his plans and intentions would be. So there was there was contact, right? So you you end up getting contact reports written constantly, you know, by, you know, I had a chance to talk to him or somebody meets with him, maybe from State Department. And then you, you sit down and you talk with that person. And you say, okay, what, okay, what? What did you guys talk about? What's, what the hell's going on? And so you build up a file. The file doesn't mean that the person's working for the, the government. I mean, there's the, you go down to the archives and basements of the, the agency. And so it sounds like we've got a, like a basement. I'd like to go to the basement of the agency. It's a vault. And, yeah, it's a vault. It's, it's much like this. Not getting and, out, uh, Baker. Yeah, yeah. Not getting out, buddy. <laughs> and so, uh, so you, uh, you, you know, there's just file after file of, of uh, full of contact reports where you're assessing people. And some of them, you know, would like this, would, would think, like, that's insane. There's no way that this guy's going to... They're not really... It's not like they think we're going to target him and recruit him. What they're thinking is, we got to, you know, we got to understand him. we got to know what the world looks like around him. Maybe we're going to identify somebody who's in his orbit that we could recruit. So there's, there's a lot of reasons why you would do this. But, you know, it's, it's, it's very mm-hmm. common. Now, Pat, this is literally your life based on your childhood... Would the CIA have motivation to want to get the Shah out of, of course, Iran? Okay. Of course. Explain that. I mean, for those of here, can yeah. you go pull up this uh, story on uh, The Guardian? Just Google Khomeini. It's a very easy name to spell. Khomeini. K H O. Best of luck, Tyler. <laughs> I looked that if Tyler. Your job makes. depends on the Khomeini <laughs> that, spelling. That, that, come on. So that's just Tyler. H- it's like H O O. It's like Smith or It starts with a Q. Khomeini. Uh, there you go, that one right there. So okay. make that bigger. U.S. had extensive contact with uh, Ayatollah Khomeini. This is a Guardian story, by the yeah. way. So with Ayatollah Khomeini before Iran Revolution, documents seen by BBC suggest Carter administration paved the way for Khomeini to return to Iran by holding the army back from launching a military coup. Uh, go, okay, previously Iran Khomeini, the leader of Iran Revolution, yeah, he was in Paris for like 12 to 15 years. The BBC reporting suggests that the Carter administration took heed of Khomeini's pledges and, in effect, paved the way for his return to Iran. The BBC uh, Persian service obtained a draft message Washington had prepared as a response to Khomeini and welcomed uh, the Ayatollah. The corporation also published a previously released but unnoticed declassified 1980 CIA analysis titled Islam in Iran, which shows Khomeini's initial attempts to reach U.S. 
to the uh, reach out to the U.S. dated back to 1963, 16 years before the revolution. The BBC revolution had created a reports have created a huge uh, role in Iran. If true, they would undermine the myth that Khomeini staunchly resisted any direct links with the U.S., which remained taboo for three decades until the recent nuclear negotiations. Go down to look at the note. Go down to look at the note here. Let me read above it what it says about it. Okay, right there. Other Iranian politicians have also questioned the BBC's revelations, including Ibrahim Yazdi, Khomeini's spokesman and advisor of the time of the revolution, Said Hajarian, a former former reformist uh, refu- uh, figure. In November 1963, Khomeini uh, uh, sent a message to the United States government through Haj Mirza Khalil, Kamari, a professor of the Technological Faculty of Tehran University and an Iranian politician close to opposition as religious groups, Khomeini explained that he was not opposed to American interests in Iran. Interesting. On the contrary, he thought the American presence was necessary as a counterbalance to Soviet and possibly British influence. Mm. Khomeini also explained his belief in the close cooperation between Islam and other world religions, particularly Christian. By the way, so you asked the question what the motivation would be. There's a documentary. The Shah, yeah, there's yes. a documentary that they did on the Shah. Uh, fantastic documentary that, that, that it's about oil. So they had a 25 year contract, Iran did, that was coming up in 1979. This was signed in 1954. Matter of fact, if you look it up uh, and you type in 1954 Actually, oil, you... Iran, do me a favor, can you type in 1954 oil, Iran? Um, You'll see it. It's called the Consortium Agreement of 1954, okay? That was expiring by 1979, okay? And this was with U.S., uh, British, I think it's Germans, French. And these guys had a meeting in 76, 77. These four world leaders had a meeting, I think, in South or Central America to talk about what we need to do to get rid of the Shah, because by 1979, when the 25 years came up, mm-hmm. he was going to mm-hmm. renegotiate the contract, increase the comp, and make more money. And they said, this is not good for us. We've got to get rid of this guy because he's becoming too strong. And obviously, so the you're rest saying it was specifically an oil play? Oh, I, listen. If I'm, if I'm, everything is speculation. Yeah. You have to know this is, mm. you know, not nothing we know, especially what's going on right now with Ukraine and Russia. We have no clue 100% mm-hmm. what everything is going on. But my speculation, based on uh, uh, what I've researched, 80% of it was caused because they did not want one man to have as much power as he had. Anything to get rid of him is what they needed. And then that's what well, they did. I guess Go my question to the Khomeini. I may be wrong. So. What was the date yeah. of the Khomeini contact, Pat? What was it? 63? November of 63? Yeah. Yeah, you know what that letter started with? Dear Lyndon, congratulations on the new job. Sorry to yeah. hear about your boss. I exactly. understand you feel different about world political yeah. affairs. Wow. Yeah, right after November. Wow. <laughs> well, we don't know because we yeah. need to know if, the, if that is... <laughs> Uh, uh, what the date is on that, but you're right. right. I would right love to time. know when that date is because it's twenty second. There's that encyclopedia in his head. But there's also, I mean, you know, part of this is also the the development of the individual, right? So you look at '63, then you look down the road. You look at the mid '70s, how Khomeini changed, you know, and how he was developing his his belief system, and and also he was looking at in terms of you know how to control and how to maintain power, and what, what's that going to look like? So. You know, you see these, and I guess I go back to the same thing. You you would see, you know, this with other, whether it's Castro or anyone else. That's part of what the CIA is doing, right? They're they're assessing, they're understanding, they're they're looking at the potential lines of communication. They're mm-hmm. looking, and 
I, but I do think it's it's fascinating the oil uh, play because I mean that you know you look at the, the history of, of Britain uh, of the UK and in Iran and. BP, yeah. the, the, so, I mean, the whole petroleum. yeah, the whole thing is 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 based on oil. Well, Pat, let me ask you before we move on. Yeah, is it fair to say they got this wrong? Meaning, whatever hand they had in this didn't work out well for well, the world it, or Iran. But depends on who you ask. If you ask the industrial military complex, no, there was a war that made a lot of money with Iraq. If you ask, <laughs> how about it, not them, the rest well, of the world? Yeah, because this led to uh, them releasing three thousand political prisoners that uh, the Shah had, and a part of it was the start of, uh, you know, Osama bin Laden and ISIS mm-hmm. and all that other stuff. So he had those guys. He, he, the Shah was concerned about a couple different parties, the extremists, the, uh, the you know, Hezbollahs, the ISIS, and then the other side he was very paranoid about was today, the, the two-day party. The two-day party was the AOC, the Communist Party, is what it was. Like, think about... Far left and far, far right. So Mossadegh mm-hmm. was like a socialist Bernie Sanders. So he was worried about the communists, and he was worried about the ISIS. So when this happened, they released 9-11 indirectly as a byproduct of having them being released while the Shah's... Because you know how people always bash Savak. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, Savak. Savak, horrible people, okay? KGB. Hor- Once a KGB, forever a KGB. Well, what the hell is CIA? Like, well, yeah, well, what Mike. is CIA? No, yeah, no, Mike. No, 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 well, no, no. What I'm well. saying is, but, 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 I but think, hold but, on a but, second. But the way, but the way we see KGB and Savak is the way Iran and Russia sees CIA and MI6. Right. You know, but the way we say MI6 and CIA, we kind of say, like, oh, it's nice people, CIA and MI6. Mm. So meaning there is patriots. Um, uh, by the by the way, I mean you know I'm I'm maybe born in Iran, but I'm made you know I'm made in Iran, but I'm you know born in Iran, uh, made, in, made in America. In America. <laughs> I am I'm about America, but at the same time, you know you have to keep in mind that you know uh, everybody's buying into some kind of propaganda. So somebody yeah, may say right yeah. now, hey, who gives a shit about the story? I don't care about Iran. I don't care about Khomeini. I don't care about this. Stuff. What does this have to do with today? Here's the point. I don't want to wait sixty years, fifty nine years, whatever it is. I don't want to wait, even from 1980, I don't want to wait 41 years to find out what the hell is going on with Ukraine and Russia. Or with wanna, COVID either. I want to know what's the cause of COVID. I want to know what's going on with Ukraine and Russia. I want to know what the hell this Fauci guy was all about. Mm-hmm. I want to know why he kept saying the same shit all over again. I, I want to know what is going on today. So to the average person, Shah Khomeini, irrelevant, but uh, a price was paid worldwide for mm-hmm. a bad decision. And everybody, directly or indirectly, whether you know it or not, you were affected by it. You know, Mike, you brought up something. I want to get to Pat's question right there. So you talked about the development of Khomeini. Mm. So obviously the agency, and without going into details, mm. you can't. You're, you're tracking the intellectual change, the evolution of thought, and the evolution of aggression. I mean, you got people like Manuel Noriega. From mm. the perfect little pawn to the pain in the ass. And when he became a pain in the ass, we went down there and stuck him in a Florida prison. Right? Mm. Yeah. And so you see that there's a lot of talk today in the Ukraine that said that people looking at Putin, and these are people that are on CNN, MSNBC, Fox, everywhere, and they're saying it really looks in the last five years there's been a change in him, and he's a little off rails. Mm. Are you seeing that? No, I don't think he's. I mean, yeah, I've heard the, the or maybe the, there's been the, an the assessments, and you know. Uh, yeah, look, that. But Putin's a good example of this, and it's it's what we were talking about is. 
Yeah, the, the big question right now is that the intel point here that everyone's trying to collect on is what's his plans and intentions, right? So that's saying we're going to get inside this guy's head. What do you have to do to do that? There's a, there's a shit ton of assessment that goes on. You're looking for, again, points of access. You're looking for recruitment of targets that might be able to tell you what the hell's going on uh, with Putin. The honest guy's truth is nobody really knows except for Putin at this point. You know, it's a heavy lift to, to, to collect on that target. So, you know, I, 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 I'm not... I'm not surprised by this. I think the the idea that there was uh, contact between Khomeini and and the uh, the U.S. government to me makes perfect sense because that's what you, we you see that in other locations, countries throughout history as well. They're you know they're looking to build up their power base. They're looking you know for a, a line of communication, and and yeah, the the agency or or any intel service is out there trying to understand what the hell's going on because they're that's what they're told to do, but. Uh, yeah, I forgot my lane to train of thought. You, you know, yeah. I'll tell you one thing. Evolution of, Here, evolution that's how of I leaders. finish all my sentences. But you know what I will say? Here's what I will say. I trust my enemies more than my allies. Let me say why. I trust my enemies more than my allies because every morning my enemies wake up, at least they're honest. They want to do whatever they can to put me out of business. My allies, I don't necessarily fully know their incentives and their motives. I 100% know the incent- uh, the motives of my enemy. I know the enemy wants to do whatever they can to have an upper edge over me. I'm naive if I don't believe that, okay? But with your allies, you don't necessarily know what is their next 10 moves. Maybe you're move number three, but you're dispensed, you know, you're, what's the word? Dispense, uh, you're, uh, you can be... Dispense ir- disposable. Indispensable. Disposable disposable. in move number eight. Mm. And you're like, oh, he's acting like an ally, but what is really his motive being an ally? Versus the enemy's like, look, I want to kill you. It's that simple. I want to put you out of business. Uh. I trust that Russians' motives are more honest than anybody else's that's sitting there saying, oh, my gosh, Iran defending Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, I don't trust what the hell Iran is doing mm. saying stuff about Ukraine. I don't trust that. I trust the fact that Putin saying, that's our land. We're going to take it. Here's what we're doing. Not in a positive trust. It's a yeah. trust of a very honest trust of the enemy. So for me, when I'm sitting here thinking about this. You know his playbook. This, you know yeah. his playbook. You don't like the playbook, yeah. but you know the playbook. Yeah, I, I, I know fully this is a true believer we're dealing with that knows what he wants and is going after it. Well, he's been, he's been very consistent. So to, to answer your question, people are thinking, is he going off the rails? Well, no, he's consistent in his moves, whether it's. You know, what he did in Crimea, what he, what he did in Chechnya, what he, you know, did in Abkhazia, what he did in South... I mean, it's, it, it's the same thing that he's been doing, and he's been very clear, to your point, he's been very honest about, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union was the greatest tragedy of the 20th century. And he believes mm-hmm. that, and he said it and repeatedly, and, and his intent has always been to recreate a sphere of influence. So he is being very honest about this. So I think when people say, oh, my God, we can't understand what he's doing... What mm-hmm. he does, right? well, Pat, let me ask you, Pat, because yeah. I fully He's agree. what he views as Mother Russia. I fully agree mm-hmm. with what you're saying. Is that you 100% trust your enemy because yeah. you know exactly what their motivation is. Yeah. Whereas your allies, you might not be sure what is down the line. Yeah. Like I think of the movies, like even in Batman. Um, or the Dark Knight, or even mm. in like the movies like The Town, you're robbing a bank together. Boom, you know who Joker you, is. Exactly. But as soon as you get, yeah. well, he knows that the cops or the Batman yeah. is going to come after him, and that's his enemy. But as soon as they get the money, boom, he kills a couple of his guys. Boom, he keeps all the money. So the next question here is we know Putin's the enemy, right? I mean, that's mm. fair to say. But the next question is our ally here is this guy Zelensky. What do we truly know about him? 
what is he really our ally? Does he what does he want from the world? That's I think the big question here. Yeah, there's degrees. I, I, there's degrees of good and bad, right? I mean, it's like the agency. What you one thing you you learn very quickly is it's nothing's black and white, and yet you know the the world wants to frame everything that way, right? So now the social media story is, oh my God, you know the the, the Ukraine. Well, look, Ukraine had a lot of problems, right? Corruption being you know up the top of the list. So and there's a very difficult history there in, with Ukraine, and so. We just have to be aware of that. It doesn't change the fact that Putin's an asshole. And, and, and I'll look over at Tom again. And, um, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, it's officially real. It's official. yeah. Yeah. You have a CIA uh, guy that thinks so, you're an asshole, Tom. Best but, of luck. Uh, that's just what the file tells me. And so I think... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I'll see you next week, guys. <laughs> so, Tom but, Ellsworth goes missing and yeah. hasn't seen Britain in 60 to 90 days. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, you know, I guess the point being is that with Zelensky, um, yeah, you ha you just have to be pragmatic about all this. And and the one thing I do worry about is is how simple everything gets framed, right? Mm -hmm. And how quickly the news story you know becomes this three minute bite of of, of everything. And yeah, if you look at at what we're doing right now, um, in terms of I mean to bring Iran by, back into it, if you look at the negotiations indirect that we're having with Iran and utilizing Russia now, right? To in part to try to you know uh, develop an alternative uh, supply line for oil, and in part, and this is where I'm very cynical. It's because you know the current administration here in the U.S. realizes we can't suffer these fucking gas prices for very long because the midterm elections are coming up, mm -hmm. and so we got to do something. So for political reasons, maybe I'm being cynical. You know they're pushing forward on this negotiation because they. Damn it, we got to get these sanctions off so we can let the Iranian oil flow so we can keep prices down so we don't get our asses kicked in the election. So, right. okay, so, so, so now here's what Oliver Stone said the other day when the conversation came about what's going on with, uh, and I want to get your reaction on this. See if you could put them on like a, you're going to do 2.0, don't do that. Put, put 1.5, yeah. Uh, is this about what he said with the proxy? Is this, is this that clip, Tyler? Okay, go ahead, play this clip. Very organized. I think the CIA plays another role there because CIA has been involved with Ukrainian Nazis since World War II. We got a lot of them out to our country on the rat lines, and we came back after World War II in 48. There was a, uh, an operation by the CIA to drop these people into Ukraine to make trouble, to start uh, troubles for uh, Russia. It's an, it's an old story. It's not new. You know, this but, is, but I don't think a lot of people know it, though. Well, they, it's, an, it's a fact. In fact, the guy I worked with on JFK, Fletcher Prouty, was a colonel who was in the World War II and Air Force, and he was one of those guys who supplies these, these uh, uh, infiltra infiltrators to the Ukraine with weapons and with flights, and you have to drop them, and so forth and so on. It's, it's a lot of hardware. All these guys were picked up, by the way. That's what's amazing. That our, it's like with Castro. Whenever we go up against Castro, he seems to find out the people we send in uh, secretly. It's an interesting side effect. But the Russians picked up, the Russian Ukraine picked up these people. But we tried to is destroy... This where he talks about, uh, uh, is this where he talks about... Is this where he talks about... Oh, I'm doing this? You mean? No, is this where he talks about... The part I want you to get is when he talks about this is just a proxy war between... Uh, U.S. is just using Ukraine. Is this the clip or no? You sure? Yeah. Positive? Yeah. Play for 20 more seconds. Let's see, because so, so far we've been waiting. So, it's it's off. So, 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 so now if we watch TV today and we turn it on, you, you're okay, seeing okay. Zelensky yeah. that is standing and he's you know, looking pretty strong and tough and he's not you know, reacting. And the news is telling us that Russia's lost five to 6,000 soldiers uh, in the last few weeks, which is more than what we lost in Iraq. And you know, they, the, the two foreign ministers had a conversation together two, three days ago. It was an hour and a half conversation in Turkey. Nothing, uh, no advancements really made. How different is Ukraine's story today versus when you did the documentary? How much has changed? Because Zelensky is not in your documentary when you did it, right? So is it night and 
day different story today? Are they making more progress? Uh, I did it. We did, no, it's not me who did it. Uh, the director was Igor Lapatonic, who was Ukrainian. Russian-Ukrainian, and he did it. I was an interviewer and a, one of the producers. So uh, these two films, Ukraine on Fire, and the other one is called uh, Ukraine Revealed. Revealed goes into the present. Tyler, when are we getting there. to it? It's a very interesting documentary about the opposition candidate, Viktor Medvedchuk, Viktor Medvedchuk, revealing Ukraine. That's it. Robert Parry, who was one of the great journalists in our country, it was the most... Tyler, are you serious? Down. Dude, I'm telling you, there's a clip that it starts. <laughs> this guy's like, we're watching the entire episode with our friend here. Just go to Twitter... Go to my Twitter account. Let's show it from this angle. Tyler just wanted us to see that for whatever reason. Uh, I was given this by John. Oh, oh those John. people under okay. the bus. All right, so go well, to go to media. Bus meet go John. Go to media right there. Okay, <laughs> click on the media side. Good. Okay, go up a little bit. Keep going. 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 Okay, right. what does that say? That says no, not John F. Kennedy. Keep going. Keep going. It's another clip by him. Okay, click on that one. Open it up. That's the truth. The United States has using Ukraine. As, an, as a proxy to put pressure. The U.S. doesn't care about Ukraine. They care about Russia. This is a chance to destabilize Russia, remove the leader, re regime change once again on a, big, on a big way. This is a big victory for them if they can pull it off. And this was always the gold from the beginning. I, I don't think there's any concern about the uh, Ukrainian people except as a sentimental thing in the newspapers. Well, this person was killed, that person was killed. But what about the people who were killed on the other side? They never mentioned them for five, six years. No, more than that, eight years. Those people were killed too. Families were killed. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy what you're saying. So, let me, let me so, you so for me... For me, where that goes to is, okay, Carter used, you know, uh, uh, Khomeini to destabilize Iran, and Shah fell, 79. It so happens to be the 25-year expiration of oil exactly in 1979. What are they worried about trying to get rid of this guy? Do you agree with Oliver Stone has? Could there be any truth to what he's saying with them trying to get rid of Putin? Uh, well, look, hey, that'd be a happy circumstance if that's the case. I don't think that was the—that's not— I wouldn't draw a direct line like Oliver Stone is doing, but that's kind of his thing. So, um, but look, is, is it a proxy war? Well, yeah, of course it's a proxy war. It's the same thing as, you know, fighting in the Congo or, you know, years ago. I mean, it's, it's, there's no, I don't think there's any doubt about that, right? I mean, we're dumping weapons into Ukraine, you know, we're helping the people out. Um, it's against Russia. It's against Putin. Putin doesn't have our best interest at heart. So, yeah, this is a, a, a bizarre, surreal replay of the Cold War uh, that we're marching ourselves into. But no, I'm not I'm not drawing a direct line saying, you know, at some point we thought, you know what we could do if we could just foment unrest and get Putin so fired up that he moves in in a big way. I'll bet we could fuck him over and get it. No, I'm not I'm not buying that. And I think that's where he's going. I mean, he's really You're not going there. No, I'm not. I'm not going there. But. I'm not. I'm also saying that. Yeah. Do are are we backing uh, a country, uh, Ukraine, that's had you know all sorts of history that we just need to be aware of? But is that a better option than standing by and watching you know Putin roll through and decide he's going to rebuild the Soviet Union? Um, yeah, I'm. I'm on that you know side. I don't. Nobody wants to get the old thing everybody's been saying. I don't want to get into shooting war with Russia. Well, no shit, right? But you know, I, I I have no problem saying yeah, it's a, it's a it's a proxy war at this stage, and we're you know we're dangerously close to you know entering a, a new version of the Cold War. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 not a conspiracy guy. To go back to your original thing, I, you know, I most things I've found over the years, and again, it's just based on everyone has to talk based on their own experience. A little bit simpler than you know a conspiracy theory would have you believe, but you know. 
I have, so a hard time, I, have a, I have a hard time believing that. I have a yeah. hard time believing that. Yeah. Now, and, and not, not in a, um, uh, I have a hard time believing that because I see it on the simplest terms on what happens with family motives mm-hmm. of family members that seems motive of, uh, uh, in, uh, companies, corporations, you work with people and you look at the motive and you realize the motive you thought was this and the motive was that. I have a I have a hard time seeing there's mm. not game gamesmanship taking place uh, here. I just don't. Now, do, do I think the whole thing was started to get rid of this guy versus the world is seen as op- an opportunity here to get rid of him? Maybe, but why is the question? Because you replace him, who replaces him? Who replaced the shah? How many replaced the shah? Yeah. Right. Anyways, let's go well, to the next. And once you do that, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it always opens up a problem. But, right. but look, no, Putin. Again, I go back to the same thing. He's been very clear about what he wants to do, and his incursion into into you know the, the eastern part of Ukraine uh, years ago. What we're facing right now, this full-on invasion, is just another step in his process right it's not it's he he hasn't gone off the rails he hasn't changed this is just what he plans to do so you'd have to go all the way back you'd have to say okay let's go back you know well before even 2014 let's if we're going to go down that and say we're doing this on purpose right we're somehow this was a conspiracy where we're going to overthrow putin you got to go back a lot further than just what's happening right now to say this is all orchestrated and i'm telling you here the government uh, oftentimes, you know, they're not organized enough to, you know, put together panic in a doomed submarine. It's just not going to happen. Right. So th- they, you know, sometimes we give the government a lot of credit. Right. Yeah. And I'm not saying they don't, you know, things haven't happened that, you know, were wrong and shouldn't. You know, you look at uh, MK Ultras on the list. That's a good example of something that goes way off the rails. But look, I, here, here's 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 a. Human nature, yeah. and, and I may be wrong, and guys, challenge me as much as you want and, and, and to say you're absolutely wrong here. I think everybody in this room and everybody we mostly meet has selfish desires, okay? You're here. You'd like to promote the show because that's what you're supposed to do, right? We're here sharing our opinions, creating content. If the audience, they like it, they support us, we appreciate it. Without them, we don't have, we don't have a business model. There's not a podcast. Uh, so, but if we also don't, uh, keep staying entertaining, then the market's going to say, Hey, listen, you guys are not really good podcast stuff. Mm. Get out of here. Do whatever else you want to do and sell insurance or maybe go sell some gym memberships. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, so Adam has a motivation. Adam is wanting to build his brand. Okay. So he wants to also get eyeballs because he's wants to grow his podcast, which has been crushing it lately. If you Sauce think Cast. I'm here to promote the SauceCast, then it goes live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Ah, and we have amazing ah, guests ah, and beautiful ah, women ah, and great controversy. You're, you're dead wrong, Pat. See, I, I, I would not promote the SauceCast on this channel. Yeah, I okay? apologize. This is about the PBD podcast, I, not the SauceCast. You know what? That again, it's Thursday at 4 p.m. Go yeah. live. I would never do that. I, uh, so you know what? My, forgive, me, forgive me for doing that. My, my apologies. But, but here's where I'm at. But here's where I'm at. The, the, where it goes to me is the following. I think almost everybody is 50 plus percent is them. 50 plus percent is your motivation for what your desires are, what your needs are, right? Some people are 60% them, 40% others. Some people are 70%, some people are 80%. You get the idea. Yeah, 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 if yeah, you yeah, get yeah. to the 80% yeah. mark or higher, now it's more about you. People eventually are like, you know what, dude, you're a one-man show. Right. Nobody can do anything with you. It's all about you. You're not a team person. You're a one-man show, right? Politicians 
and statesmen. Those are two different things. Politicians want to get reelected. Politicians owe favors to people that funded their campaign that you and I don't know about. Politicians owe favors to other people that said, if I get you elected, dot, dot, dot. So for me to sit here and think and say, you guys give the politicians way too much credit, I don't give the politicians a lot of credit. I give the people that did favors for Mm, them a mm, lot of credit mm. to come and collect their debt. That's who I give a lot of credit because those guys are not dummies. I guarantee you lobbyists are not dummies. I guarantee you these money people are not dummies. Last time we had a uh, dinner at uh, a restaurant we've never been to called Casa D'Angelo for the first time. <laughs> we're there like three for times a week. For the first time yeah. this, uh, this week. So, actually, I've been there two nights and we're going again, by the way, just so you know, we're taking a bunch of people. But we're at Casa D'Angelo and we're, we're having dinner with this one private equity guy, right? Mm-hmm. He, he runs a multi-multi-billion dollar fund, does very well. Their whole team showed up. We had a great dinner together, conversation about you know what's going on in media, what's going on in business. Well, anyway, it's a great conversation that we had with them. But- I'm sitting across from the main guy and I'm talking to. What's his motive? Mm. To make returns. What is he, he, the, but the part that made it very impressive versus a guy that I met with last week who crossed his arms and we offered to have dinner with him and he said, I don't want to have dinner. I just want to meet you in the office. Where this guy yesterday flies in, is worth more than the other guy. Mm. This guy flies in, comes to my house, then we go to dinner, spends five hours with us and he says to me at the end of the meeting, would you mind if I take a walk with your wife? And I said, no problem. We went over there. I took my baby. Mm-hmm. They walked 20, 30 minutes. They talked. And then he says, I just learned a lot about you. I'm so glad I had a chance to talk to your wife. So to, I know he yeah. still, number one concern is returning money for his investors. Right. But the fact that he wants to know more about the DNA of the individual, he's to me a 70-30 guy. Not a nine, the other guy was a right. 90 10 guy, yeah. So uh, you're right, I don't think these politicians are, 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 you know, but I do think the people behind closed doors are going to collect their debt again. Yeah. That's where I'm at, yeah. No, so, I don't, yeah, I see, I see what you're saying, and I don't, I don't disagree, I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying that sometimes the nature of government is that, that they can't, um, you know, they, I wouldn't give sometimes, and when I say government, I'm not really talking about politicians, I suppose, but. I wouldn't give him as much credit as sometimes, you know, somebody like Oliver Stone might where he says this is a massive machination. Sometimes they fall into shit, right? They fall into things and then they think, oh, this is a happy circumstance. Let's get, let's, let's do this, right? I mean, and, but, um, yeah, no, I, but I agree. I think what you're talking about in part is, I mean, I see it on a very, you know, personal level where you see it at family, right? You know, do you have kids that are empathetic, right? And, you know. To what degree are they? They have EQ or whatever they call it, and so you know, I got I got three boys, and, and the uh, the oldest one, Scooter, is it's very empathetic, right? The middle kid <laughs> doesn't give a shit what you yeah, think, yeah. And so he's a, he's a he's a completely different cat, right? And the youngest one is just kind of a happy-go-lucky kid, but but uh, you know, Sluggo, he's like, you know, I'm gonna tell you what I think, and I don't care what you think about that, right? And and so it's an interesting, and but so I look at it, and, and you're right, people, that's the way people work. I do agree 100%. I, I've seen the lobbying industry very close up in, in Washington, D.C. And, yeah, there's expectations, right? There's, there, and, and part of it is how the system's, you know, built now. If you can, if you can send somebody to, to Congress or in the Senate and they're there for 36, you know, 42 years, that, that's from a lobbyist perspective, that's an investment to be made, mm. right? I'm going to invest in that person. So part of this, and maybe I think about it too simplistically, is, you know, get rid of, you know, put in term limits. And then suddenly it's a little bit tougher to say, this is where I'm investing my money, meaning this particular politician who's going to end up as a head of the Ways and Means Committee or whatever. So now if you've only got two terms and then you've got to get the hell out of there and go back and do a job, 
you know, maybe as a lobbyist, I, now I got to rethink my business, right? Maybe I, I can, I'm not going to get those hooks in there to yeah, the degree possible. If, I, if we were to make a list of the top 10 enemies in America that are hurting America the most, I, you know, I'm going to put lobbyists in the top 10 list is, is where I would put them. I don't know where they rank as is if they're going to be, they're probably not in the top five, but they're in the top 10 mm. list. Lobbyists are hurting a lot of things and they are great Great debt collectors. N- another, another question. Another question is the following. In regards to Nixon, you know the whole story about the CIA tried to kill Nixon many, many years ago. You, have you followed that story or no? Uh, not really, but I believe it had something to do with Elvis. Um, so I'm just going to put that out there. I'm okay. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you see Elvis is the new movie that's coming out or no? Have you seen the commercial? No. No, is it another one? Oh, it's pretty sick. you got to watch the commercial. Well. Yeah, it's pretty uh, sick. Yeah, he's coming out. Anyway, yeah, he's playing yeah. himself. It's yeah. pretty impressive. So, yeah. so, it's a so if you don't know yeah. that story, yeah. then I want to skip that story. Yeah, that photograph yeah. of Elvis and Nixon is one of the te- top ten ironic yeah. photographs in American history. Oh, let's see this. Right. Badge given to drug-addled singer. I mean... Did you, see, did you see that movie? I think you'd do a very good yeah. job for the United States of America. Well, thank you very much, Mr. President. <laughs> That's actually good, Tom. You do, you do a good that Elvis a and a good uh, Clinton. No, it was this, and he gives him a badge. There was a thing where he gives him a badge. Remember that? Yeah, I, I can't wait to see this guy's movie when it comes out. There's a trailer right there. Let's, yeah. let's watch something very important here. This, this is very concerning for Adam uh, in regards to declassified government secrets. Shocking declassified government secrets. Trained cat soldiers. Okay. Documents cla- declassified in 1983 revealed that the U.S. government tested the idea of training cats to be spies, <laughs> implanting, reg- reg- recording equipment in their bodies, and letting them loose near the Kremlin or Soviet embassy. Is this a true story? It's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> That's my people. It's a, it's a true story. It's a true story. My cat spies out there. I'm here to tell you that it, it was called Acoustic Kitty. And uh, <laughs> it was an operation. And, uh, you know, where people can learn a lot about this is on Black Files Declassified, which appears every Wednesday night. Yeah, there you go. At uh, 9 p.m. You're not am selfish do- at all. Am I doing this right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, there we on, go. Uh, Discovery wait, wait, Network. What channel? What channel? Uh, yeah, Science Channel. Science uh, Channel. Yeah. Or, or Discovery okay. Plus. Or hear great things Plus. about yeah. it. I believe if you happen streaming. to have the app. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so w- the idea was... Um, <laughs> Was that, uh, yeah, the idea was that, look, again, uh, if you're trying to collect intelligence, you're going to try to be creative. The one thing that one of the things that the agency does well, they've got a science and technology directorate. Right. And that's one of the divisions within the organization. And that's where incredible engineers work. And they've developed everything from the U-2, you know, to the Blackbird to uh, satellite, you know, technology, uh, battery capability. Um, And so. They do some amazing work down there. And one of the ideas was, look, if, you know, if you're trying to collect on some target in some, you know, country and um, maybe what you want to do is figure out a way to get close to that target in an unassuming way, how about we implant um, a receiver uh, into a cat? I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but these guys are just throwing ideas out there. They built a, 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 a... Years ago, decades ago, they built a thing called an insectothopter, which was just a little dragonfly that could hover and, and, you know, outside a window of, say, the Soviet embassy and uh, collect uh, intel. Um, It's it's incredible. Anyway, the Acoustic Kitty didn't work. Uh, They also tried. Why didn't it work? 
Um, you know, cats are, as it turns out, are not that trainable. <laughs> oh, I know, Mike. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So it's basically so, desertion, right? Yeah, yeah. So they, they, as it turns out, you know, the cat, uh, base, I, I don't know, I, I don't have uh, all, all the insight, but I think it spent most of its time licking its own ass. and, and um, Those are more know. dogs. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you. Which created they, interference and static on the little... <laughs> you know, the, static, the, Phil. The term for... Um, <laughs> Phil... What is it? Uh, like international arms dealers. We've seen the movie War Dogs, right? Yeah, yeah, like, sure, you know, yeah sure. And then in the movie, he's like, he's a dog of war, right? Yeah. yeah. How, this cat idea, how much thought goes into it? Or realistically, how, how, like, how often does just someone just high shit, smoking weed? He's like, man, forget about war dog, war cats, man. That's where it's at. Yeah. Well, no, they, you think it is crazy, right? Because <laughs> some of the shit that they came up with was, was just remarkable. Um, as an example, they built a, a, a fish, a remote fish, right? Because they were trying to figure out what was going on at, the, at a facility overseas somewhere. And it had an estuary, right? And so what they wanted to do was collect water samples. So there was no way in hell they were going to be able to accomplish this. So anyway, they built this fish. They have a copy, or one of them in the uh, museum there at headquarters. It's incredible. It's it a looks, big fish. It looks just like a damn fish. And this thing would, they set it off and it would swim up the, you know, estuary and, and collect water samples and could, you know, gather some other data and then come back. I mean, so, yeah, they're throwing ideas on the table, but sometimes, you know, it makes sense. They, again, the acoustic kitty didn't work. They tried it on a pigeon, right? And, you know, the, the gear was too heavy for the pigeon to, to make it all the way. <laughs> <laughs> the target. So, but you never, you know, and and you know, some of the ones that really work, they don't, they don't talk. But these about, are the kind of wacky ideas where they're like, let's yeah, put they, a budget together, let's put ten, twenty million dollars into this. Wasn't there a, wasn't there a dolphin? Wasn't yeah, there? dolphins are. Yeah, look, they, they, that they was very used, famous, right? There was During a the Vietnam era. Yeah, and and look, animals, you know, the, the ones that could be trained, you know, could you know could be used in this this sense. What they then went to, what this developed into, mm -hmm. was robotics, right? And and uh, and so the use of of. Uh, you know, the insectothopter was a very important development because while it didn't necessarily work that well because it, it wasn't as controllable as they wanted it to be, uh, it allowed them to develop technology that could then be used in other ways. And so, you know, anyway, I'm banging on about the... All I can think about right that. now... There it is, yeah. All I can think about right now is in the Austin Powers movie where he's like, sharks with lasers. Cheers. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to have sharks and put lasers on them. Are those laser beams scat. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, let, let's, let's, talk about, let's talk about it. So there, there's something happened this last week that is deeply concerning. I'm wondering, like, as a well-trained CIA agent, how would you solve this mystery? Because uh, it's, it's, it's heavy on my heart. So an alleged stoner stopped after a wild car chase, whips out license from Legoland, Okay. A U.K. driver who was arrested for reckless driving had officers and stitches after producing a license from Legoland. The driver was pursued from Bexley to uh, Isle of uh, Sheppey and arrested for a multitude of offenses last week, according to a tweet by Kent Police RPU, which apprehended the 21-year-old motorist in February following an epic car chase. This was a 35-mile car chase, and this guy, when he gets pulled over, he takes out his Lego. Is this truly a real story or what? Tell me you're joking with me right No, now. it's legit. And you get the license. There's a driving course at Legoland. And it's got like a speed cam, a few other things. And you get this license. And here it is right here. I've, I've, seen, I've, I've actually seen this Legoland. I took, I took uh, my daughter to that Legoland. And it's true. They, you can get a driver's license. And, yeah, so the guy had a big bag of weed. Um, I, he's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's a hero. Um, 
I think it's a fantastic story. And, and Thanks God for bless great it. news, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I think it says more about the poor Kent police because the average highway patrol in any of the 50 states would be far less patient than 35 miles. You would have put, you would have put the, uh, the trip line down, pop the tires, or catch up behind him, give him a spin. We just, have you ever, patrol have you ever, doesn't let this happen. Have you ever gone to the airport and you forgot your ID or passport? Has that ever happened to you? Have you yes. ever gone to the airport to travel and you forget your passport? I feel like you have yes. a story behind no, that. No, no, I'm just curious because this happened to me multiple times. I'm asking yeah. you if it's happened to you. It's not, I'm sure it's never happened to you. Actually, it's never happened to me. <laughs> but it's happened to you. <laughs> yeah, I thought I showed up and I realized all of a sudden I didn't have a passport. Now, to be fair, I was traveling to Canada and I guess I just thought that was another state. And so I didn't think they'd actually want my passport. Uh, one, time I went to the wrong, uh, one time I went to the wrong airport. Um, I was heading back overseas. So for, you're the uh, stoner that this guy was I right. Was a stoner. I was, yeah. Now, I was hungover. Uh, I, was, I was back in the States for just a few days, got together with some guys that were back here. This was when I was in the old job. And uh, we went out and, and uh, might have had a little bit too much to drink. Had to go overseas to do something and uh, went to, uh, instead of going to Dulles Airport in Washington, I went to National. And, you know, bounced around there for a while trying to figure out where the hell's my flight and i was getting really shirty with the the, the gate people i said no my flight i'm leaving here to go and they said and they looked it up and they go no you're supposed to be at Wrong dallas oh yeah. i love when yeah that's yeah, so funny in dallas it would happen all the time you're in line and guys like sir your flight's from love field not from dfw you're kidding me no you yeah. have to leave okay and <laughs> <laughs> what happened to me one time is we parked the car in DFW, but Moral booked my flight back to Love. I totally forgot about it. And I'm like trying to go to Valet. Can you get my car? I've been waiting 20 minutes. Like, sir, we don't have your car. I call Moral. Moral's like, your car's at DFW. <laughs> yeah, but it's always a fun conversation when you're saying, I'm telling you, I'm Patrick B. David. Sir, whatever. Do you have an ID? No. What would you like me to show you? And uh, you have to make phone calls to get that part done. Uh, let's talk about gas prices. Can you pull up the picture uh, somebody just sent me from Beverly Hills? So this was just sent to me from Beverly Hills, and uh, uh, gas prices in Beverly Hills, $8.95, $9.25, And a story comes out from Common Dreams that I want to read to you on page 7. If you can pull up the other uh, stat that we had about where gas prices went. Do you remember the one that we did the other day? Uh, I'm sure you have it. If you don't, I'll send it to you as well. Um, 82% of U.S. voters believe inflation is fueled by corporations jacking up prices. Released Friday by the advocacy group Fight uh, Corporate Monopolies, the polls showed that 82% of registered voters blame big companies for at least some of the recent inflation spike and want elected officials to take on powerful CEOs and rate in corporate greed to lower prices with gas prices, searching amid Russia's onslaught against the Ukraine, against Ukraine. Democrats in the House and Senate introduced legislation that would impose a windfall tax on oil companies in an effort to curb profiteering. Last year, oil and gas companies made $174 billion in profits. Bernie Sanders said... This year, they're on track to make more. We cannot allow big oil companies to use Ukraine and inflation as an excuse to rip off Americans. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's a lot more complex going back to what Someone's we talked about ringtone keeps going off. Is that yours, Tyler Tom? Is that your ringtone? No. Oh. Someone's goes up. I'm, Fuck, it's mine. Okay, so it's uh, yours. See, I, I knew you were oh, listening to yeah, You were up to something. I, I know. It. I know. Well, but, it's not easy getting signal into this room. Um, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, you know, I think it's it's this this story is like so much else. It just it becomes a simple narrative, right? And if people took the time to say, okay, look, maybe I'm going to sit and study and understand how the oil market works, 
you know, maybe I, I expand my thinking about this and just think it's not that uh, ExxonMobil is, is screwing us over, right? ExxonMobil, yeah, 2021, they made, what, 20, 23 billion, right? In 2020, they posted a 22 or $23 billion loss, hmm. right, because of the pandemic. So, and, and oil prices, you know, fluctuate based on world conditions, right? So prices come down right now. Well, why is it, you know, why is it coming down? Well, because in part, as, as an example, these discussions are going on with Iran. And suddenly the, the traders are thinking, okay, maybe we're going to get that uh, pipeline opened up. They're going to ease the sanctions. So, yeah, prices start to come down. Prices may be fluctuating up because what? China's going through a lockdown again, right? So what's that going to do? Oh, shit, now maybe we've got a problem, you know, with demand and, and supply. Okay, so I guess, do I think that the oil companies are... are screwing us over um are they interested in making profit well damn right they're interested in making a profit but i think that the the way that you know one another problem here the uh the biden administration i think failed in in one way here with with this energy issue by not apparently drawing a direct line between energy and national security right energy is a national security priority and so, therefore, if you say that, then you would assume that in that case, yes, okay, great, we should be a, a leader in green technology. That's a wonderful thing. But we should also be as independent or close to independent as possible in production of energy. Right? And so that's a national security right. concern. You, we can do both. And, in fact, you know, mm-hmm. th- there aren't that many people that invest as much money in, in new green technologies as oil companies because it's a profit motive for them. They understand, right? Whoever builds the next best battery is going to win. So – yeah, I, I just think it's, you know, it's more complicated than mm-hmm. AOC or whoever tweets about wants us to believe. Hey, I, I, I David, it. John, can you guys show that real quick? Gas prices for people to know that gas prices have been climbing uh, way before Putin invaded Ukraine. I think it's important for audience to constantly see this, that it's been going up since uh, even November when the election came out and they announced, look how low gas prices were. They were $2 and it's gone up to three fifty one by then. That's nearly yeah. 100%, 80%. But go ahead. You were no, saying I, something. I think this is a perfect segue to a nice case example from the BizDoc right here. Not even so much gas, but how do prices work in the market? Supply, demand, prices, costs go up. I feel, uh, gas aside, how does it all work? I'm sure you have strong feelings well, on this. Well, it, when you look at fuel and everything, you, most people don't know, you, there are economists that work for the airlines, and they are some of the fastest and best hedgers, you're nodding, Mike, mm. on fuel prices on the planet Earth. They are so fast and so quick to hedge. And if you look at any of the annual reports for um, the airlines, they talk about their hedging strategies or hedging staff and everything. And hedging means that they see the prices change and they're trying to actually keep the price of air tickets balanced so that they can maintain customer inflow. They don't want during spring break the price of a ticket to double and they lose customers. They're trying to keep some stability for summer travel and all these things so they can go make a buck. And the, the, the second part of it is you're absolutely correct. We have in this country, what most people don't understand is the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And the president can open and close the valve to put oil that's in storage into the market. Supply comes into market, prices are moderated. And he can do that. And all the things about drilling and everything, that takes a while. Okay, you've got permits, you've got leases, but I didn't approve your permit. Right. And so Pisaki will go to the microphone and say, they have leases up the wazoo. And the guy from Fox in the back doesn't get called on. He's like, yeah, but you didn't approve the, the actual permit to drill. So if you take a look at what everything's out there, if Americans just understood two things, mm-hmm. the president can ease prices 
with the petroleum reserve, number one. And number two, it's good to be green, but balanced energy independence is even better. And most Americans also don't know this third point, which is Canada buys 100% of its natural gas from the United States of America. We are actually a top four energy exporter in the world. And so to blame the man, you know, it's, it's very fashionable in the election year to go blame the man. Oh, big corporations are screwing you again. It's the man, you know. You know, you know one thing I got to tell you, Tom, you know, people often tell me I have an accent and they'll say, Pat, you got an accent. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I got an accent. I've never heard anybody call uh, Jen Psaki, Jen Psaki. <laughs> and I love the way you say Putin, you say Putin. It's like such a unique Canadian yeah. accent you have I'm that's just, wonderful. Can you go back to that picture you showed by Bumble? Uh, what is it called? Not uh, Saki. Uh, who is this? Saki. This is the Babylon B. Due to like gas it. prices, next Fast and Furious movie will be about bicycles. Oh, my God. <laughs> but can you do me a favor and Google highest gas tax state? Just type in highest gas tax state. Highest gas tax state. And look what comes out. Uh, okay, so make it a little bit so everybody can see it. Make it okay. So California, New Yorkers pay sixty-six point six two cents on a gallon of gas. The ninth highest uh, statewide uh, state gas tax alone is forty-eight point two two cents a gallon, but California is eighty-six point five five. Illinois is seventy-eight. Pennsylvania is seventy-seven. Hawaii is seventy. If you want to see the next ten, click on it, so the competitive folks can see where they state ranks. Uh, make it bigger. We got Pennsylvania, Hawaii, New Jersey, Nevada, Indiana, Washington, New York, Michigan, Florida, Oregon, North Carolina. Okay, so these guys are saying we need to ask these big corporations to not, uh, uh, you know, as record-breaking profits that they have. Fine. If you're really concerned, let's go through three different organizations. We hold you accountable. We hold the oil companies accountable. And we hold governors of states that are charging mm -hmm. a shit ton of taxes accountable. So if we do it that way, then guess what? Maybe there's a reasonable conversation. So one, for 90 days, if we're 100% of Canada gets their oil from us, why don't we start doing it ourselves for a time period to lower gas, gas prices? Number two, talk to Exxon and Mobil and give them some kind of a credit for the next couple of years to have a certain number that they're doing to lower prices for them. And then contact all your governors and tell them for the next six months, the gas tax that you're collecting right now, the 86.55, we need to get rid of it for the next 90 days to six months. That is a reasonable way where everybody is pulling their own. You know, a startup company, when you get started and the company is going through challenging times, the CEO will come in and they'll do this. They'll say, guys, let me tell you where we are. We all own equity in this company. Yes? Yes. Okay. Company's growing. It's exploding, but we have a problem right now. What's that? Our margins are very small. If we can make it through the next 12 months, we'll be fine. And our you know, equity is going to be worth a lot. For, for the next 6 to 12 months, us, the C-suites, who can afford this because we own the most, uh, uh, what do you call it? We own the most shares in the company. I think we have to lead from the front and do something with our salary. Let me tell you what I'm doing with my million-dollar salary. I, for the next 12 months, I'm not taking a penny of salary. I'm going to a penny. And I'm not telling you to do that as well. But all I'm telling you is see if you can figure out a way to take a lower salary the next 6, 12 months so we can reinvest that money into the company and then we can bring it back up. We need that for the next 6, 12 months. But I'm telling you from front, my salary just went from millionaire to a penny for the next 12 months. CFO, I've already had a conversation with John. John's already told me he's taking a salary from a half a million to 120. 
And that's a savings on 380 per year. Thank you, CFO, for doing that. Larry's already agreed to go from 400 to 80 because he's also got savings. Larry, thank you for doing that. Then you go to the rest of the people and say, shit, okay, I'm willing to go to this. Oh, great. Let's up memorandum. Then you go to your employees, your directors and your managers, and you present it to them. Then you go to your partners, your carriers, your vendors, whoever it is, and you say, guys, this is what we're doing. Here's a memorandum. We would like you to lower the expenses a little bit for the next 6, 12 months work with us. We're growing very... This is the way you get people to say, you know what? If you're going to feel a little bit of the pain, I'm okay feeling a little bit of the pain. I'm all in. Rather than saying it's the corporations who are doing da, da, da. But you don't talk about your state. You don't talk about your own drilling. You don't talk about your own responsibilities. You just point it at everybody else. You become a hypocrite. That is the challenge I have with their solution. It's all this way, but I'm not held accountable to do anything. Again, we simply run a podcast. We don't run countries. We don't run states. But if somebody came up like that and presented that to me... I kind of say, you know what? Uh, okay, that's fair. I'm listening. Yeah. I well, know. and it's also uh, part of the problem is also I think that it, it's just this, it's this idea that it's got to be all or nothing, right? You're either all in on on alternative, you know, sources of energy, uh, or you know, you're you're a complete asshole. And you know, like you said, a, a balanced energy policy, but that's got to be driven from the top. I really do think that one of the reasons why we're staring at this invasion in in Ukraine right now is because we we got our energy policy is so wrong, right? If, if oil, if crude's down at, you know, 34 bucks a barrel, Putin really can't afford his adventurism that he's engaged in right now. You get it up to where it's been and where it's been climbing too, and that gives bucks. him a lot of hope. And then he, lo- and he looks around and he thinks, yeah, you've f- fed into my plan anyway. You know, it's been clear for years that he's using energy as a weapon. That's an obvious statement, right? And we just fed into it by, you know, saying we're just we're putting our hands up. You know what? We're going to kill the energy industry here in the states. You know, in in our pursuit for for green technology. And he looks at that and he goes, "Yeah, great. That, that that's exactly what I want. Thank you for the help." So yeah, I think we we screwed the pooch on that one as far as the, the current administration goes. Meanwhile, meanwhile, did you guys hear about what Saudi Arabia announced the last twenty four hours? Have you have you seen this or no, Tyler? Okay, so go to Wall Street Journal story or Examiner or Fox or Bloomberg or any one of them. You can go to any one of their stories. Okay, so Saudi Arabia just announced. If you can open that up, Saudi Arabia considering mm-hmm. accepting the the one instead of dollars for Chinese oil sales, okay? So China is playing aggressively coming in saying, hey, we're here, we're waiting. Um, Can you imagine what happens if Saudi Arabia goes away from the dollar, which the dollar has historically been what? The main currency, and now they're going to take this angle? What kind of a look is that on U.S.? What kind of a look is that on the administration? What kind of a look is that for the world? What is the world saying when they see this? Uh-oh, motive, China's officially the new powerhouse in charge. U.S. is getting more and more and more weaker with the dollar. What, what do you think about when you see this, Tom? Man, we got to get that vice president out there to say something nonsensical. You know, we got to send her on a tour. No, I think this is this is also, I think, national security. The dollar's been a storehouse of value and also the store, sort of the ruler by which all currencies are measured. It's been the stable currency. And it may be, oh, well, that's an elite thing to say, such an imperialist thing to say, to put your currency out there. But I think it's a security issue. 
personally. Can, uh, and can I, you pull up the article to read the whole article? Uh, go to the Wall Street Journal one. This is the Hill. Is this? Is this the other one's behind the paywall? Okay, let me look at this one. Two nations have intermittently intermittently uh, discussed a major of a matter of six years, but talks have been spent in 2022. Disgruntled over the United States nuclear negotiations with Iran and its lack of backing for Saudi Arabia's military operation. And boom, <laughs> there you go. By the way. Did you see what just happened right there? By the way, about Yemen. These guys are sitting there negotiating with Iran, okay, on nuclear deals. And Saudi says, no problem. I thought we were your number one ally. You're doing that? We're going to China. Nearly 80% of global oil sales are priced in dollars. And since the mid-70s, the Saudis have exclusively used the dollar for oil training as part of security agreement with the U.S. government, according Bingo. to the journal. The talks are the latest in an ongoing effort for Beijing, both to make its currency tra- tradable in international oil markets and strengthen its relationship with the Saudis. Specifically, China previously aided Riyadh uh, in construction of ballistic missiles and construction of nuclear power. Conservative relation has increasingly faded in recent years. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Sal- uh, Salman. Uh, initially put forth a public image as a reformer, liberalizing, liber, liberalizing the country's uh, police on women's rights. Hands. However, 2007. Anyway, so there you go. You sit there and you negotiate with Iran, you lose Saudi. Well, but the interesting thing with China is, while China's been uh, increasing their, their military support and uh, technology uh, cooperation with uh, the Saudis, They've also been at the same time and are currently Iran. Yeah, increasing their economic uh, you know, uh, cooperation with Iran, which if you look at it, they go, well, how do you square those? They don't care. That's China. As long as it's in the mm-hmm. Xi's regime's best interest, that's all they care about. They are very straightforward. It's what you said before about, you know, your enemies and, and at least Trust. they're honest. Yeah. You know, China's How many honest. billion did China give 400 to billion, Iran? 400 25 billion, 25 years. Exactly. Am I saying it correctly? 400 billion, 25. Type in Iran, China, 400 billion, 25 years. Well, isn't, aren't they kind of talking out both sides of their mouth right there? Whereas I'm talking about Saudi Arabia right here. So Search it. Search it, Tyler. Just type in China, Iran. They're acknowledging billion, the fact years. that China is doing business with Iran, investing in Iran. Yeah. But now they're, they're basically dissing America because we're having conversations with Iran. It's not like we're having... Um, economic conversation with Iran. We're trying to basically figure out this Iran nuclear deal that's well, been back but, and forth, left and right for ten years now. But we, the, the 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 current administration is very clear about the you know their essential their, their agreement to lift sanctions, right? So that that opens the spigot and gets the Iranian oil flowing. That concerns the Saudis, so they're going to look at that in terms of their own interests. Um, it's it's it is bad. And China again, you look at it, just their relationship with Putin and Putin. Mm-hmm. Is it is it Putin, Putin or is Putin it uh, Pasaki? Pasaki. Pas- yeah. <laughs> I like that. Uh, you look at their relationship, and again, China. You know, do you th- honestly think that they're going to respond to you know threats where the U.S. may say, well, you know, if you better not cozy up or cooperate with uh, Putin because uh, you know that's not going to end well for you. We're going to you know impose sanctions. That's not how Xi is going to respond, right? G is, is, is dealing with uh, Russia right now because it, he perceives it as in his best interest. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as this thing, if it were to go really ugly, you know, you're going to see daylight between them because China's playing a much longer game. And I just it, so it, it is fascinating. But this this uh, this conflict, apparent conflict between them dealing with both the Saudis and Iran at the same time is I think yeah. it's been fascinating. To well, watch. hold on. I just yeah. thought of something. This is a perfect analogy to what you were talking about. Here, right go, now. Here it is. Yeah. You talked about, I trust my enemies more than I trust my allies. Yeah. Well, we know that Iran is our enemy. Facts. Okay? 
What the fuck is Saudi Arabia at this point to us? Are they our ally? Are they our strategic partner? Are they an enemy? Did they have an involvement in 9-11? That is what's clouding U.S. judgment right there. Is I don't know what to make no, of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is Michael Jordan when he says Republicans and Democrats buy Jordans. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone buys oil is Everyone buys oil. <laughs> so that's it. So they stay in the middle and they just say, yeah. hey. Listen, China buys from us, Russia buys from us, Iran buys, not, maybe not Iran, but U.S. buys from us, everybody buys from but us. But that's their perspective on us. What should our perspective be on Saudi Arabia? You buy from them. Saudi Arabia That's is, it. That's just a, it's, it's a it's, business transaction. It's a transactional all, relationship. First of all, very good question. Mm-hmm. It's not a vendor. It's a partner. What is the difference between a vendor and a partner? Vendor you use once in a while. Mm-hmm. A partner you use all the time. You can't treat Saudi Arabia as a vendor. U.S. is treating them as a vendor. It's an insult the way you're handling them as a vendor. I would also be upset if I'm them. You need to treat them as a partner. They're not trying to attack you. They're not trying to do anything to you. What They're- do you mean? That, how many people from 9-11 were from Saudi? The Saudi, the, Saudi, the Saudi government that's selling oil to you, yeah. you need to treat them as, an, as a partner, not a vendor. You can't just go to them and say, you're now an enemy. Do that. So let's just say you do that since 1973. They've been using U.S. dollar, and now they're going to go to China. Now what happens? Now, I totally understand what you're saying. Obviously, we want to keep them on the dollar and be a partner. Yeah. But no, when you're, partner- you're, you're pointing out something that you know this administration, previous administrations, it's a very difficult yes. relationship. It's Because we're, we're but, you but know, if people you ask are it- very conflicted about it. But I agree with the fact that the world is the way it is. You got to do business with what you got. Sometimes you're dealing with with a government that you look at and go, in an ideal world, you're not what we'd like to deal with. Of course, but fuck it, that's not the way. Less it works. serves two evils. But yeah. and then how do you yeah. even talk to your partner about clearly MBS Mohammed Balsaman chopped up uh, the journalist Khashoggi? Yeah, Khashoggi yeah. Clearly that happened. Okay, on the world stage, everyone condemned that. All right, well, you know, sorry about Khashoggi. Let's just get some more oil going. Like, where the, the lines are so blurred with Saudi Arabia, yeah. and that's what makes me bring well, up. What do you do? So, what that's do you do? That's the question. That's why we got but, CIA here. Yeah, yeah, but what do you do in this situation? You, you, would you rather, do you see more uh, Saudi Arabia having an honest relationship with you or Iran? I, I Well, again, do you trust your enemies? Yeah. You know that they hate yeah. you, or do you trust your, your I, I, supposed I, partner ally? You, what, what are we buying from Iran? Nothing. We're what buying. We? We're buying their ability to not uh, create nuclear capabilities. We're buying them off. Okay, but by doing that, you're also pissing off Saudi. Correct. So and then it's the ch- whole Sunni Shiite uh, dilemma. You, you know how you, you, you do? You have anybody in your family that no matter or friends, no or employees or anybody customers, no matter what you do, you can never make them happy. Yes. Okay. I've had people like that. you know what? I, when I when I finally get to a point that I'm like. There is nothing I can do to make her happy, make him happy, make them happy. Nothing. Listen, guys, let's just go our own separate ways. Because there's no. Hey, let's take him out to dinner. Oh, oh, everything goes good. Next day, put you guys. Hey, let me get them this. Hey, let me do. So you're ne- you're never going to make Iran happy. But at least you can keep Saudi civil. So which one do you want to look at more as a long-term person you want to keep? I see. Well, that's, that's the complicated that's how I process. It. I may be wrong, but that's yeah. how I process no, it. But then, how do you handle the nuclear negotiations yeah. with Iran? Do you just do you? Sweep so it you under have the to rug? ask like, the question, even if the guidelines yeah. you put in place, do you trust they're going to follow the agreement? 
Seriously? Like, you yeah. think Xi follows foreign relation policies? Seriously. Right. I mean, we had that agreement between Xi and, and, and President Obama at one point. Uh, okay, we're not going to engage in cyber shenanigans. Well, that, that, that's okay. what, a lot of horseshit. Or we're not right. going to engage in economic espionage. Of course they are. That's how they got to the, you know, the, the, the point on the food chain where they're at right now. That's how they intend to get to the top. But I think with Saudi and every other nation, you've got to think from terms of we're going to act in our own national best interests. What is important for our national security? What's in our best interest as a nation? That's how every other country does it. There's nothing it. wrong yeah. with that. Well, well, we tend to apologize for it on, on occasion, um, which is puzzling. You're but, talking about the Obama apology tour around the mid, uh, yeah. Middle East? Yeah, well, and, and, and just in general, every time we, we act in our own best interest, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe we're doing that. And, and you, Or you'll get it out in social media, and a sector of the population will be angst-ridden. But, um, yeah, I think with... With with the with the Iran nuke uh, deal, look how do you how do you deal with that? Well, you you deal with it by getting a better deal than we had, right? We didn't have full transparency, yeah, because they wouldn't allow it. So when John Kerry would bang on about trust and you know trust verification, but verify, yeah. well, we couldn't verify because we didn't have access to some of their key facilities, right? And that's a problem. So create a better deal, or just say fine, we're not going to. I'm sorry, we're not we're not getting that deal. And yes, we're going to then have to have better intelligence that's going to allow us. Right now, our intelligence on that target is kind of all over the place. Right. You know, some people say, well, you know, their breakout is you know, a month away. Nah, maybe their breakout's 12 months away. Well, that's there's a big gap there. Right. So mm -hmm. that's that's an important part of this, because at some point, maybe the decision is you got to go in and degrade what they're doing. Um, but, yeah, you, you, when you talk about the Saudis, that's a you hear that all the time mm -hmm. in Washington. People are always spin spun up about this you know sounds so. like we got to get some cats on the scene in iran there's snoop around yeah well, the nuclear facility yeah. cats <laughs> uh you know dogs uh did you guys see the homer story with joe rogan did you see that story homer gets canceled meets joe rogan a new simpsons episode this is a new york post story the simpsons is dividing critics after spoofing controversial podcast host joe rogan 54 in a brand new episode satirizing Cancel culture in the divisive season 33, episode 14, titled You Won't Believe What This Episode Is About. Act 3 Will Shock You. Homer is erroneously blamed for leaving the family dog named Santa Little Helper uh, in a hot car, resulting in him getting publicly shamed. Newsweek reported things really go off the rails when the Simpsons uh, patriarch tries to apologize and inadvertently knocks Reverend Lovejoy out of the church window. Videos of the fiasco subsequently go viral on social media, causing Homer to lose his job and become ostracized by his family and friends, co-workers. Eventually, the donut uh, gobbler meets up with Joe Rogan, uh, <laughs> Ganger, the commentators never explicitly mentioned by name, but he is represented by a generic right-wing podcast host who is the only one willing to meet with Homer following his cancellation. Needless to say, the gap rang hollow with many critics with screen uh, rant deeming it's bizarrely misguided and self-contradictory, particularly problematic per side with the fact that Homer was under uh, undeserving of his excommunication, presumably unlikely many so-called victims of cancel culture. So what do, you, what do you think about this? By the way, does that even look like uh, Joe Rogan? Does he look like kind of Joe a little bit? Yeah. I like how they just said, well, we're not going to name him. Right wing podcast. Right wing podcast house. Pariah's welcome. <laughs> how shall we draw him? Let's draw him like this. And we won't name him. 
Yeah. Yeah. The the other day they uh, uh, they called Russell Brand a right wing podcast. Can you imagine calling Russell Brand right wing Republican mm-hmm. podcast? But apparently now Joe Rogan is. A couple of the guys uh, shared a video. It was, it was it went viral on on Twitter about the times Joe has said things that has nothing to do with being right-wing. The only thing he's doing is he's questioning things. Right. I think he said one time, you know, Barack Obama's the best president of our generation. Yeah, right-wing guy would never say that. Yeah. They, they would probably say somebody— Said he would vote for Bernie. He would vote for yeah. Bernie. He said a bunch of different things, but— uh, Such bullshit how they portray him as being right-wing yeah. just because he says things that are contradictory it's, to the narrative that is being spoken out there. It's absolutely true. Look, he's he he just has interesting people on and, and you know, asks questions questions good questions and you've been on rogan how many times yeah a, a dozen or so just a yeah, dozen so, times yeah, on rogan so, no big deal mike baker um, cia yeah yeah but it's it's he's he's just he's just curious he's curious about everything right but god forbid you should you know ha- have someone say something on your show that somebody else doesn't agree with i it, the one thing about self-righteous people is i don't know how they they're, they're so fucking dry they have there's no sense of humor right i mean who, who the fuck takes exception to a simpsons episode <laughs> Episode. I mean, uh, how does that work? So, anyway. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Joe keeps winning. Yep. Yeah. Because all this you do, you're all just helping him win. The mainstream media doesn't even know it. They're officially Joe Rogan's best publicist. And the yep. great news is he has to pay them nothing. They're doing it for free. Mm-hmm. All, by the way, all this publicity they're doing, do you realize if you, pu- if you were to put a dollar amount of how much the media's shit talking of him, making videos, saying stuff, how many billions of views it got Joe. And if you were to put a dollar amount on it, I'm going to speculate on what that dollar amount is. If Joe was running for office and he wanted to buy this viewership, it's probably going to cost him $300 million. So mainstream media just brought Joe Rogan mm-hmm. $300 million of free publicity. By the way, Joe needs to say thank yeah. you well, to my uh, favorite publicist. Such a see. good point. Huh? <laughs> By the way, this is, you, this, you is not, this is not new. The same thing happened with Rush Limbaugh. You may remember that there is a small coterie of Democrat congressmen that tried to pass what they called the Hush Rush Act. And he was talking about equal time. And that led Rush on this big campaign where it was, I am equal time. And it actually propelled Rush from the consortium of AM Talk into the whole EIB network. And so it actually was jet fuel on Rush's trajectory. And we see it again 20 years later. Yep. And by the way, all the news of Rogan getting canceled, you don't hear that as much anymore, right? This reminds me of... Kind yeah. of what Jordan Peterson said. He was sitting in Mike Baker's seat right there. He said, listen, the hardest part to do is deal with it when it's at its worst. When things are, the heat is on you, if you could stick it out, you'll be sitting pretty on the other side. Now, you know, everything that yeah. happened with uh, our friends yeah. at Spotify and um, Rumble offering them a hundred million bucks. Yeah. Where's that now? Yeah, I think he, Neil he Young survived went back. the worst of it. Neil Young put himself back on Spotify, <laughs> as it turns out. Neil yeah, Young went yeah, back. Yeah, he went back, and as did, I think, everyone else. I'd love to uh, see the Neil Young on Joe Rogan podcast coming soon. <laughs> oh, by the way, that would be, that would be pretty epic. Talk about epic. views. Yeah. God. 
if there's a guy that could pull it off, he could pull it off to to do something like that in regards to, you know, getting somebody. And by the way, did you guys hear about the Putin's girlfriend? Have you guys heard about Putin's girlfriend or no? Did you hear any story I have, about Putin? I have. Can you pull this up? So inside the luxury life of Putin's secret girlfriend as Ukraine goes through hell. Okay, this is a mirror story. Tyler, I don't know where you found this from. Her name is Alina, I believe, right? Yeah, I, I noticed you had a picture of her on your computer. I don't know She's why you not did bad that. Luck. Olympic gold medal, medal winning gymnast. Alina Kabayeva, 38, reportedly traveled to a very private and very secure chalet near Lugano in Switzerland with her young children while Russia invaded Ukraine, widely believed to be the mother of Putin's two sons and a daughter, or possibly two daughters. Kabeva lives in a luxurious uh, bubble, shielded from the horrors uh, uh, her 69-year-old partner is inflicting on innocent children. In February 2015, a local TV station reported that Kabeva had given birth to, uh, at a private VIP uh, maternity clinic in Sorengo, on the uh, per periphery of the city in spotless clean streets that weave between Cartier, Gucci, mm. Louis Vuitton, mega rich Russian strolls through pampered pooches. Anyways, was that her in the previous picture too? Go back. She's a gymnast. She's, yes. She's very flexible. She yes. is, yeah. quote, the most flexible woman in Russia. Wow. <laughs> It's true that opposites attract. She's uh, she's very flexible, and and Putin not too flexible on his thoughts and opinions. Is this true, this dog with the Putin? Although uh, for the rest of us, this is a KGB torture move. But. Yeah, yeah. You could uh, put a listening device in her. It'd be um, like acoustic kitty. There we go. This just went to complete. See where I'm going with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very creative. Yeah. This, yeah. And you say CIA is not that creative. What are you talking about? I know. Very naturally creative. Did you guys hear about this? Uh, um, uh, the raise that Congress gave themselves. Did you see the raise? Oh, yeah. it's, it's very honorable. So if you want to go to this page uh, five, uh, Congress decides to give them a raise. Uh, I think it's on page six. Okay. Congress gives themselves a double-digit raise. This is a town hall story. Amid economic turmoil for the American people, their representative in Washington gave their office a double-digit raise this month, even as the average American worker finds their real wages decreasing due to inflation uh, that outpaces wages at noon. If you missed Congress giving itself a little pat on the back, that's understandable. Members aren't likely to tout outside the beltway how they're filing their own, uh, uh, filling their own co uh, office coffers. Plus, the funding increase for congressional offices just went uh, was just one part of the 2,700-page omnibus bill that funded the U.S. government into uh, one and a half trillion dollars. The roll call explains 5.9 billion dollar fiscal 2022 legislative branch funding. The increased taxpayer funding for congressional offices is 134 million dollars more than was allocated in the last fiscal year, a 21% increase according to the House Appropriations Committee summary. In addition, congressional offices in the House side get $18.2 million in paid internships, that 21% raise for the offices with a 5.1% year-over-year wage growth for household report in February's job report. And you can see why Americans might not be that thrilled and frustrated. FY, I asked uh, Tyler to ask uh, to check how much the military got a raise in the last mm -hmm. uh, 12 months. 2.7% raise. So they get a 2.7% wow. raise, and they gave themselves a 21% yeah. raise. Got to love it. I mean, this is a very honorable move for them. And, and, and tone deaf Inflation timing. is at about 8%. Yeah. Inflation's well, at 8%. You, you got to think, you yeah. know, with all the bipartisanship that's going on in Congress, finally, there's something they agree upon. <laughs> let's give ourselves more money. Anyone object? McConnell, Pelosi? All right, let, let's do it. All right. I'm telling We're you, all term, more money. Limits, term limits, term limits, term limits. That's, this, I mean, it, it is astounding when you look at the size of 
mm-hmm. of 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 the operation of Congress and the number of staffers they've got. Um, God, I, I can't say enough bad things. They're so dysfunctional. That's the other part of it. Is if we we're clearly not sending our best and brightest to Washington. I mean, I think possibly most people would hopefully agree on that. But the system is designed to, it seems like, increasingly send dysfunctional people to Washington. Well, as they say, every now and then, an innocent man is sent to the legislature. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I want to just get a quick look at congressional approval ratings and where they stand right now. Tyler's on the scene. Where do they stand, Tyler? I think it just said 18 percent. All right. Well, they're still in double digits, guys. No, they're still in double digits. Has been above 30 By the way, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious. Like, what other things should we look at for uh, raises that are given? So military being one of them. Uh, old old folks, uh, retirements, they're getting what? Social Security. Check mm-hmm. to see how much Social Security raises. They if did it, increase it. A okay, bit if it matches it, I respect it. If you ma- if you increase Social Security. So if your Social Security is what? Uh, uh, or is it a net social security bending bonus? There it is. Cola, okay. 5.9%. 5.9% 5. while inflation is what? 7.9%. And you're raising a 5.9%, but Congress got 21%. It's not, uh, not a, again, but it, these are the types of things that the average person watches and says, mm-hmm. let me get this straight. We're going through shit. Yep. You're raising gas prices. I'm going through what I'm going through right now. During this time, you secretly all give yourself a 21% raise, but you don't do it to me. So if this were to happen and they raise Social Security by 21%, mm-hmm. they raise military by 21%, they raise themselves by 21%, then somebody could say what? Okay, cool. I can see that. Fine. Even though the number may be astronomically high. Uh, but when you do it and you give yourself 21, Social Security 5.9, military 2.7, right. it's, it's what Mike Baker would call it an asshole move. By the way, take a look exactly. in there. The Medicare surcharge is coming. So mm-hmm. the 6% they gave you, they then take away on drugs, hospitalization, and physicians. So it's probably net less for grandma. Not to mention exactly. the inflation rate of 8%. Um, you know, eating into that as on, well. On yeah. grandma's groceries. And if you want to read more about this, you can check out the 2,700-page uh, bill yeah. that's uh, reaching Congress right now. Yeah, Which nobody good. read. Right? Zero. They, they passed it. Kidding and again, me? How, how, how screwed up do you have to be to put together a 2,700-page omnibus bill, not allow for people to debate it, read it, create some transparency around it for the voters, and then make a decision? And this is, but they do this shit all the time. And I guarantee you, the people that wrote those, most of that legislation, they're like 23-year-old interns and staffers, yeah. you know, who, you know, are probably hung over. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. ATF. Sounds like we're going to get the ATF yeah, on yeah, that exactly. ATF. Yeah. <laughs> so we Pelosi of... looked into the camera, remember? We'll find out when we pass it. Yes. Remember that? Yeah. She looked right into the camera. So that was for it? the what? We'll the, find, the infrastructure ACA. deal or the ACA? Uh, yeah. Okay. ACA. We'll find out when we pass it. So we had a ton of good comments today, and I, I want to get one in. And since we have Mr. Black Files declassified, right, I thought this was really interesting. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, Ronan Returns asks, he asked a few things, but specifically, if there was alien contact, who would have jurisdiction? I think that's so – would it be the president? Yeah. Would it be the head of the military? The ATF. They would have – They'd show up with cigars, yeah. a yeah. bottle of tequila, a couple of cigars. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't they land in Manhattan? Mike, yeah. I gotta ask you. Yeah. 
I figured you CIA guys coming in here. Yeah. You could be. A, you could have a double life as a comedian. You could have pretended yeah. you were a comedian. Do most CIA guys have this sense of humor, or you're like the funny guy in the crew? And that's the only skill set I had when they <laughs> recruited me. Was that uh, I did like I don't know, four years undercover as a as a stand up. Um, and <laughs> traveled around the world because you get good access, right? And so, no, you know what? Most of the guys I know are, are, are a lot funnier and smarter than I am. Um, so Funnier, you know, I find yeah. hard to believe. That's smarter. Not, let's get him to answer so the question like, yeah, because sure. this guy wants to know the oh, question. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, what yeah, do we yeah. do with these aliens? That, yeah. uh, well, you know what? Um, if, you, if you set aside Area 51, which is pretty much where we keep them all, um, it's, it, it's a good question because who would have jurisdiction over an airline? I don't. I, I hope to God what's it's not guy's Biden. Name, right? What's the guy's name? Ronan. Ronan. I don't have a fucking clue. <laughs> right. um, Come you know, on. Yeah. And if think, you did, you yeah. wouldn't say. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah. To say to say that. Look, they would the CIA have jurisdiction? Well, possibly because you know it involves a foreign asset. I think mm-hmm. you could say that. Um, you know, the bureau would probably come in and say it's our turf across state um, lines. Yeah, it? so you'd probably you'd probably get <laughs> right. this sort of thing going on. But look, Area Fifty One. You know, going to that that was set up by you know uh, by the agency basically, but it was set up for the development of uh, air assets, of, of, you know, of new technology. And so that's, you know, again, whether it's the Blackbird or whether you're, you're talking about U2 or, or you know, any of our uh, assets, it's, so Area 51 was started and, and it made sense, right, that people would be going, what the fuck is that? I saw something really mm. bizarre flying around. Well, yeah, you know, you just saw a stealth wing, you know, fly over your, your ranch and it looks like an alien aircraft. So, I mean, I get why Area 51 is so fascinating, and it is fascinating. But um, I think if, if we and actually encountered, and, and there are some things going on right now. Uh, the Pentagon came out and, and actually admitted that they had an office, ATIP, that was following uh, you know, unidentified aerial phenomena and trying to figure out what the hell they were. That was a big admission by the Pentagon. So then you ask yourself, well, why did they come out and say that? What, what, what were, they, were they just trying to get ahead of something or were they just thinking, OK, it's you know, it's time we can declassify the fact that this office existed? Um, so but it, it, from a national security perspective, if you've got something out there that, uh, say, a naval aviator saw and couldn't identify and you've got gun camera footage of it, then it makes sense from a national security perspective. You better be investigating it and figuring out what it is. Is it a you know new technology from a mm-hmm. hostile nation or what the hell it is? So well, first of all, you know that's an interesting question to ask. I'd be curious to know myself on what the answer to that question. It's going to be. be Joe Rogan. It's We're just going to say Joe. Yeah, they're going to go on the, Yeah. So, yeah. but we we are coming to the end of the podcast. Oh. And a reminder to everybody: season two of Black Files Declassified airing Wednesday, nine p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Science Channel. And Discovery Plus, we have a commercial to show you with this that's coming up if you want to play that. Nice. Uh, Here we go. Why was our government investigating the paranormal? That information is still all classified to this day. Whatever was being done was done for mind control. You fully immerse yourself in the enemy. This was by far the most terrifying experience of my life. There might be something right here. It seems like an effort to keep the public in the dark. That's exactly how psychological operations work. Hello? I wouldn't call this a treatment. I would call it torture. The Soviet Union created a doomsday system. These systems are always learning. They're always developing. Is that an existential threat to mankind? 
The Navy's already looking at how to use aerial drones to attack an objective. Whoever can master those techniques Damn. will rule the world. There we go. Next Wednesday, 9 p.m., Black Files Declassified. Do not miss it. Put the link below to get more information on that. Mike Thank Baker, you for brother. That. Thank you. I, of I really course. That. Great to Thank have you on. Really Thank enjoyed you. it. I'm glad we had a chance to do it face-to-face. -face. Looking Absolutely. forward to the next time we have you on again. I would look forward to that very much. Thank Anytime, you. Anytime, buddy. Thank you, Mike. Thank Guys, you, take care. Thank we'll you. do this again. Uh, Tyler, next week, right? Nothing this week. Okay, we'll do it again next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye.